Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following program is intended for mature audiences. It's sports and beer with friends. Welcome in. That, of course, was the uh, the sounds of the Soundgarden and the late great Chris Cornell. We are going to feature uh, Chris Cornell music today. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Chris and what happened uh, with him a little bit uh, later on. But uh, if you don't know Soundgarden and Chris Cornell, I don't know if we could be friends. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying, and it's uh, it's just that's right in my uh, right in my uh, wheelhouse there. That kind of music. That's what I, uh, I grew up with. Um, you know, as a young adult, that was where I was at. But anyway, it's Sports and Beer with Friends, and we're back. Uh, we're doing shows on consecutive weeks for the first time in a long time. <laughs> We've had a lot of stuff going on. Uh, Steve is with us today. We're actually recording on Tuesday again. However, this time, Steve, make sure your mic's on. I'm not sure that you're clicked on there on the front. Yeah. Oh, that, there's Steve. Here we go. All right, he's hello, back. Hello. So uh, yeah, we're, everybody's everybody's uh, everybody's good now. We're all good. Um, so Steve is on vacation. He's joining us on a Tuesday morning, and it is sports and beer with friends. So we're drinking. The guys are having beers. I'm a little bit early for a beer, so I am going to have a bloody Mariana, which is a it's a kind of like a riff off a of Bloody Mary, but there's no horseradish in it. Oh okay. Yeah. I mean, it's got tomato juice in it, so it's poison. <laughs> <laughs> Mike is afraid of uh, the lycopenes in tomatoes are going to turn him into a lichen. It's not fear so much as disgust. <laughs> well, I was going. Anyway, who cares where I was going? All right. Well, before we go any further, let me remind you that for professional financial advice, you should contact our good friend Matt Govendo. Uh, call Matt today, and he will uh, get you all set with the, your retirement planning, investments, life insurance. Contact Matt at three one five six seven one one eight six four, and he'll hook you up. So check this out. Yeah. We always have the TV on in the background, and I try not to watch it while we're doing the you show. You fail but miserably. But. Every once in a while, you see something, and you just want to vomit on yourself. And, uh, <laughs> you know, right now, you're, we're watching Sports Nation or whatever, and at the bottom of the screen, it said, would a Cavs title this season deserve an asterisk? I don't know what the conversation these guys are having right. could possibly be. The answer to their question is no, and they should move on to the next segment. Because wh- what is the asterisk? Right, that they... They beat Golden State, who's like amazing. Right. No, if you if you beat Golden State in the finals, first of all, Cleveland gets to the finals, which they probably will, and then beats Golden State in the finals. I mean, okay. So here's what I assume their conversation is about: is that uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers have faced a very diminished Eastern Conference. It doesn't okay. matter. So have the Golden State Warriors. They've played, yeah, San Antonio with no Kawhi was their big. Right. That's their only real yeah. challenge. I mean, Portland. I mean, come on. Houston. The thing with Houston is, 
Oh, actually, they didn't have to play Houston. Houston played San Antonio. The, my my uh, argument at the beginning of the playoffs was Houston can shoot well enough from three that they could get hot and beat you. Right. You know, they could get hot for a week and take a couple games at your place and then win at their place and be, you know, that's all it takes when you shoot the number of threes they do. Yes. Which they didn't against San Antonio. Clearly. Um, Golden State played no one. Right, they played no one, and, and neither of the Cavaliers. The Celtics are now there without their best player, although defensively they're a better team. And we'll, we'll talk more NBA playoffs later, but yeah. but just just your point here, I don't understand what this asterisk could possibly be. Yeah, they, if they beat they Golden played... State, a full full force Golden State in the finals, they might have beat the best basketball team in the last fifteen years because this Golden they, State they lost once in the last two months. Better than last year's team that won 73 games. They are. They are clearly, yeah. visually better. Okay. So anyway, we'll get on with t- top stories. But I will remind you that you can contact our show at sports, uh, at the email address, I'm sorry, is sportsbeershow at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at, bo- at sportsbeershow. And don't forget, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, the TuneIn app, and, of course, Google Play. Uh, and, of course, you can always find us at blogtalkradio.com. Yeah. So that's how you We're find the show. We're omnipresent. We are getting to more and more avenues all the time. Uh, so top stories, we're going to get into uh, the Triple Crown, uh, the Preakness reaction. Uh, so the Preakness happened on Saturday. Are either of you aware that that happened at all? No. Okay. So here's the thing. This is, this is why the uh, American Pharaoh winning the Triple Crown actually hurt horse racing. <laughs> <laughs> because now no, it's not like, right. oh, wait, a new Triple Crown winner. Yeah. Right. It was such a long time. The anticipation of a Triple Crown winner was building up for... I know enough about sport or horse racing to say the last one had been affirmed in 1978. And right. Then, so you had 35 years. 2015. Was yeah. It two, yeah, 2015. So it was. It was 27 years. 37. 30, I'm sorry, 37 years between. And... Um, yeah, uh, which was the, one of the longest droughts in the history of the sport. Not, I don't think the longest, but one of the longest. I think it might have been, but now you're it's talking, close. Now, if you don't care about mint juleps or horses, you really right. And I, I like horse racing, but only only in terms of the Triple Crown. Only in terms of watching Secretariat on YouTube. I I will watch that shit. I've seen that a bunch of times. Oh my god! <laughs> you ever want to see just some uh, just an athlete dominate other athletes? Watch. <laughs> Watch Secretariat just blow away the best horses in the world. So basically, the the Derby winner won the pregame. He did not. Oh, he didn't. No. Oh, so yeah, that means right. so. So oh, the yeah, Derby yeah, winner, right. which was I don't remember, <laughs> literally could have been the name. Too. Yeah, I mean I don't remember what it was because now it doesn't matter. Who cares? Uh, I do know that the Preakness winner was a, a a bit of a long shot. Actually, paid pretty well to those who who uh, I think it was like a fourteen to one. Oh. And his name was Cloud Computing. I mean, seems like a dominant horse name. I mean, what are you doing? I mean, American Pharaoh, that's a that's, that's a, a horse name. That's a horse that wins the Triple Crown. Secretariat. Affirmed. Alidar. These are horses. Cloud computing. I don't get it. So who was, who was the last horse? I mean, before American Pharaoh that went... I guess exactly. They won the first two legs. Oh, a bunch of them did. Oh, there was a bunch. Barbaro, in that, there was Cigar. Yeah, 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 yeah. California Chrome. There was. It was almost every year the same horse won the first two races. It, it, was, it like happened. Deal, it right? happened quite a bit. Yeah. Um, you had every once in a while, like in uh, like Barbaro was a dominant horse and broke his leg yeah. in the in the opening of the Belmont. Yeah, broke his damn leg. And that was a shame, an absolute shame. Mind that bird was a, like a long shot winner at Kentucky Derby. He didn't win the first two, but it was just it was just one of those weird fluke things. Anyway, but it happened a lot where you're going into the Belmont. I think probably at least in that 37 year span, it probably happened at least six or seven times. So that's a lot. 
Oh, that's what kept people engaged. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and every year going, oh! Maybe this is the year. Maybe this is the And now it's just like, who cares? It's only been two years. Horse racing is such a rich person thing. It really is. You know? Um, multi-millions of dollars of investments to get involved in it. And I just think the average American just doesn't care. Like, I have a friend who has a lot of money. And he owns racehorses. And he knows people like Rick Pitino and Bill Parcells and Martha Stewart. And he's met them all because he owns racehorses. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, he lived on Martha Stewart's street. But if he didn't have racehorses, she wouldn't have said shit to him. The thing is, when you meet people like that, you always it just is always like, hey, they're just a normal person. They just happen to have money. Yeah. And you, know, you just know their name. Almost invariably. Yeah. And every once in a while, if you meet someone who's really wealthy and not famous, they're just the biggest dick you ever met in your life. It's just weird, right? The famous ones are always pretty cool, and then the ones who aren't are image to a complete asshole. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so moving on. The NHL, uh, the playoffs are, are still going on. These playoffs are actually... Somewhat competitive. I wrote this before the seven to nothing or seven to whatever trouncing that <laughs> Ottawa took on Sunday at the hands of uh, Pittsburgh. I do want to pull up that score, but these are compelling playoffs, and it's and we spoke about it before. A it's lot the, of it's Nashville being having a chance. Yeah, well, they they are in. They won yesterday yeah. and are in the Stanley Cup final for the first time ever. So I heard something interesting. No team from Tennessee has won a professional sports title. Could that possibly be right? Apparently it is. I mean, you think about it this way. Up until the... They just had the Titans, which were the Oilers previously, so they haven't been there that long. I mean, that was the 90s. Yeah, Memphis Grizzlies. Like how also many the 90s. Right. Right. There so were relatively new franchises. Were there? Was there a Tennessee team in the ABA that would even have had a chance? I don't think so. To be but honest. anyway, that's what I heard. Now, I didn't do any research to confirm that, but... Apparently, no the Titans came a yard away from. Right, they almost made it. But, yep. Uh, the Memphis Grizzlies have had a couple good teams, but nothing really no, to the point where you would. They say, were only competitive yeah. because of style of play, essentially. Right, you know? right, right. But uh, yeah, so yeah, that's it. There, there's never been one. But again, it's a very short history of actually having right. professional so teams. So the Preds. Right. Could be the one. Right. Uh, and good. I hope they win. I really, really do. I think it's great uh, for the sport if Nashville wins this. Um, unless they're in there, unless Ottawa somehow pulls this out against Pittsburgh and it's Ottawa versus. You would root for Ottawa? Only because there has not been a Canadian winner, Canadian team that has won the Stanley Cup since 1993. Are you a terrorist? Uh, I love America. Okay, just wanted to make sure. <laughs> but let's be honest, this isn't really Tennessee hasn't won anything <laughs> ever. <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a Tennessean. <laughs> I don't care about Tennessee at all. I I have been to Ottawa many many times. I've been to Nashville once, and I've been to Memphis once. My brother lives in there. No, I've been to so. Memphis twice. I've been to Elvis's house twice. Poor thing. It's amazing. Graceland is an amazing experience. It's just a house. It's not a mansion. It's just a house. You just contradicted yourself. No, but it's a beautiful house. It's a wonderful thing. Like, I live in a house. I don't need to go to Tennessee Uh, to see one. Mike. Anyway. You live in a house. I do live in a house. Thank you very much, even though I live all the way out here in Hawaii. But anyway, so the NHL playoffs, they're exciting. If you want some excitement, go watch those. Although, Game 3 of the Eastern Conference Finals was a little exciting at the end. I literally turned it off. You know what? So did I. And I, <laughs> I woke up and I'm like, they, I, they won? <laughs> I, well, I'm on Twitter and I'm like, 
you know, I see someone like LeBron has historically bad game ending, and I'm like, what, what do you mean? How could it even matter? Right? I mean, he, he didn't I, play in the fourth quarter, I right? Say the, I want to <laughs> say it was something like 77 to 56 when I left my house. I was like, yeah, I think I've seen enough. That would have been the high water mark for the Cleveland Cavaliers as well. They, they had a 21 point lead. The thing that was, was the biggest they, lead. They were up something Midway like 14, through the third. They were up 14 or 66 to 50 at halftime. And the beginning of the third quarter was pretty. More uh, of the same. Pro quo of More the of first the same. half. Exactly. It was just like. Oh, look, they're going to continue to dominate. Okay, well, I, okay. Especially okay. after game two. Right. So game two is, like, the biggest ass-whooping in the history of sport. Like, It's one of the bigger ones. Dude, it was, like, 77 to 30-something at halftime. It was. Halftime. 71 to 32, I think it was. They were up by more than 30. No, 72 to 31. It was a 41 J.R. Smith hit a, hit a miracle oh, turnaround. So much NBA playoffs it's later. Crazy. So Sorry. much later. I can't help myself. <laughs> the funny thing is the Steve, NBA playoffs have been terrible. I will tell you this. It was like this when we did a football-only show. We would start talking about a football topic, and suddenly we're talking about LeBron, LeBron James. <laughs> Mike, we're... we're uh, I derail. We're going to talk NBA right now, though. But oh, it's going to be subs kind of off into the side. Oh, what do you got? Bring it. Ennis Cantor was detained in Romania after his passport was revoked by the Turkish government. Good. Because of his political views against their totalitarian leader. Ennis Cantor is actually a pretty good... Not a great basketball player. Okay, good big. Gives you some energy. He's mediocre. He, can, he had no minutes in the playoffs because he wasn't competitive. Some offensive uh, ability, but again, he's, he's a very middling NBA player. However, he... Uh, he uh, is an outspoken opponent of the uh, Turkish government, and therefore he was traveling abroad doing humanitarian work and had his passport revoked and was stuck in Romania. Somehow he got back to the United States, and he's very happy to be here, and he may never leave again. Well, you know, if they detained him, then maybe one of the you know 200 early entrants to the NBA draft would actually get a spot in the NBA. Maybe. But now they'll all be in the D-League. That's it. Or actually, they might play in Turkey. Hey, Turkey's got a good league. <laughs> it's a good league. They've yeah, had several players. players. Yeah. yeah. All right. So there's that. Now NFL. I wrote this a few days ago, so I got to do the math again. We are 107 days until the opening of the regular season. 107 days. I mean, that's we're getting there, folks. Uh, so uh, OTAs are going on all over the league this week. They're the next three weeks. We're gonna have these little. Organized team activities, then you could have your mini camp, and then before you know it, we're a little about a month and a half away from the opening of training camp. And once that happens, man, it's just a quick boom, boom, boom. And before you know it, it's the Hall of Fame game preseason, and then it's going to be the Patriots hosting whom? Who are they hosting? It's not Arizona. It, Normally, no. it's a or I'm sorry. Uh, no, it's not. It's not going to be. Um, Atlanta. Atlanta is what I was saying. Even though they're playing Atlanta this year, which um, would be the only reason you would ever not do it, I would think. I didn't look at the schedule. Um, well, it's New England anyway. And Yo, I'm, speaking of NFL, if yeah. you don't follow Captain Andrew Locke on Twitter, you're missing oh, out. No, you don't. You have to. <laughs> so so he's, he's like a Civil War general, it's right? It's Andrew Locke as and a Civil it, War. It's the, one of the funniest things you'll ever run into. So, so he funny. mentioned OTAs, and I had scanned this on Twitter earlier. Dearest Mother, I have arrived at basic training for onset tactical advancement. (laughs) We are not using live ammunition, so do not fret, Andrew. Oh, that's so good. Read it. Oh, oh, okay. Let me let me see. Because I'll. Good Lord Almighty! That's only my phone. Oh God. 
there's paper towels in the kitchen. For God's sake. All right. Dearest mother, I have arrived at basic training or onset tactical advancement. We are not using live ammunition, so do not fret. Andrew. Look at his last one before that. The one before that was, Dearest Mother, I'm, I am coming home. <laughs> and that was from February. <laughs> uh, Dearest Mother, the band of patriots held us off the cast of Falcons in Bowl Valley during the longest battle on record. Twas super. <laughs> so, yeah, Captain Andrew Luck on Twitter. Definitely follow me. It is Andrew Luck as a Civil War soldier, uh, officer, of course. An officer, of course. Uh, yeah. I'm going to kill Mike, especially if this can be... Oh, good Lord. Now you're touching my cigar. You got all my papers wet. This is the worst. Oh, God. All right. Uh, NFL opener 2017 is going to be... Uh, it is the Patriots hosting the Chiefs, which actually is going to be a really good game. Do you think their new quarterback will play? Uh, not a chance. <laughs> I doubt. I seriously doubt it. Um, although, you know, the thing is... It could be 41-10 right. Patriots, so he plays the fourth quarter. So we'll talk a little bit about this NFL thing uh, right now. So uh, there's a couple other things I want to get to but before I do. So uh, when, when the draft happens and, and these, these teams take these quarterbacks in the first round, you inevitably hear about, well, we want them to sit, we want them to learn, we want them to, 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 to get some time behind our current starter. If the Chiefs start starter, 0-2, he'll be playing. That's the thing. So I'm talking about in particular to Deshaun Watson, who was picked 12th overall, the third quarterback off the board, which is after Patrick Mahomes, who you're talking about with the Chiefs, yeah. was taken. So in specific, they were talking about that in terms of Deshaun Watson. He should and, start week one. Well, you have Tom Savage ahead of him. How is Tom Savage going to beat this kid out? Yeah. Uh, but So anyway, so but that's the talk then. And then literally, you're at rookie minicamp saying, he might have a chance to start week one. I mean, you didn't give it even a month before you're already throwing this kid in the starting lineup, despite your talk of about how you wanted to bring him along slow and let him learn how to be an NFL quarterback, and now that's all gone. The funny yeah. thing is, I, I think uh, it pretty much showed their cards on draft day that yes. he was going to be the starter. I don't think Tom Savage thought. I mean, when he took that quarterback at number 12, he was like, well, there I go. <laughs> I guess I'm getting paid to sit on the bench this year. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, unless Watson hurts himself in, in, in training camp, that's it. All right, so former Patriot and Super Bowl champion LeGarrette Blunt has found a new home. With Philly. With the Philadelphia Eagles, and of course Philly he has Blunt. given himself the new nickname, <laughs> Philly Blunt. And... Oddly enough, he had to pee in a cup this week. No, I'm just kidding. I don't think he did have to have a drug test after saying, yo, I'm Philly Blunt. With a history of marijuana use. Right. Yeah. Probably the best. He's a little tone deaf, but whatever. He can do what he wants. Le'Veon probably called him up and said, hey, tone it down. Yeah, well, now we live in Amen. the same state. Let's Bruh. get together. Let's <laughs> meet in the middle. <laughs> yeah, those guys, are, they're tight like that. All right, so, uh, so go ahead. Back to your point about quarterbacks, though. The thing for me is not so much the let's get this guy in the starting lineup. It's how quick they give up on him. Right. So it's like Andrew um, Andrew Luck, no. Uh, I'm still on Captain Andrew Luck. Um, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. Got to sit behind Brett Favre for two and a half seasons. You know? Yeah, nearly three and, years. Oh, it was three years. Uh, yeah. And then Favre it was never like, missed a game. And it was like, okay, now this guy is going to have a chance. And so basically you gave him three years to learn how to play the position and then got him right. on the field. Right. Deshaun, the thing about getting him in early is you got a guy now learning how to play the position, but you don't give him enough opportunity to learn how to play the position. It doesn't happen in three weeks. Oddly enough, the guy that he's compared to most um, because of the way they were drafted is the guy we were talking about earlier, Alex Smith, and, and the kid that got drafted this year, Patrick Mahomes. 
Andrew Luck, I mean Andrew Luck, constantly, not Andrew Luck, Aaron Rodgers, we're ruined. ruined. Andrew Luck, so Aaron Rodgers, behind an established starter who you knew they weren't going to be. What was it, 24th? He was taking like 24th. 27th. It's late in the first round. And San Francisco, which is where he wanted to play, which is where he's from, for Christ's sake, he's from Chino, which is right there in the Bay Area, okay? He, he and he went to Cal. Like, they passed on this guy to pick Alex Smith, who was by most people clearly the number one pick in the draft and all this stuff. So, and now I'm like, oh, San Francisco is crazy. You know what? Here's here's the difference. Aaron Luck got to go to Green Bay and sit for three years. And Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. You got halfway there. That Jesus. Time. Aaron Rodgers got to go to Green Bay and sit behind Brett Favre for three years and learn how to be an NFL quarterback. Alex Smith got five coaches, five coordinators in five years. Right. And never had a chance. Never. And yeah. and when he got benched and eventually traded, he had the team in first. I mean, they were good. They were on their way. They would have gone to that Super Bowl with him or Colin Kaepernick. I honestly believe that he is the most underrated quarterback in the league. However, I understand why people don't. They're just like, eh, because he's eh. He doesn't do anything. But he's also, who's his receivers? Jeremy Macklin. Is okay. Kelsey is is good. Really good. good he's really good. Yeah, he's really good. Jeremy Macklin. He's got, but to be fair, he's got sort of the level of receivers that Brady has. Right. He doesn't have the receiver that goes and carries him. You know what I mean? Right. And that's why. Go, that's, Let me just throw it up deep, and this dude's gonna. But catch that's it. why he has to. He has to find the intestinal fortitude to take a freaking risk one time. No, I'm just gonna throw it away. That's all. He, he doesn't ever ever take a risk. Never. You have okay. Andy Reid's his coach. You should, well, right, and I'm sure Andy's like, hey, maybe we should have thrown downfield that time. Oh, what hamburgers? Never mind. But Andy yeah. Reid's whole game plan is that dink and dunk. It always wasn't Philly. It's it's never changed. I just hate it. I think it's just you, you, as an NFL guy, you have to take a chance once in a while down the field. Yeah, just to you, keep. You can't let the eleven I mean, defenders be in the first ten yards of the field. Right. I mean, just walk your safeties down. We're playing the Chiefs this week. No big deal. They're not going over our heads for sure. Um, so anyway, so there's that. Now, on Saturday news, Hall of Famer and former uh, Defensive Player of the Year in 1992, Cortez Kennedy has died at the age of 48. I don't know the cause of death as of yet. I don't know that it has been reported. Um, for Seahawks fan, yes. He played for you. Yeah, if, you don't, if you're a Seahawks fan and you don't know who Cortez Kennedy is... Then you're not a Seahawks did, fan. You're, no, you probably you are. You're a typical Seahawks fan. 12 man. 12 man. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, not to be... Since 2008. Wait, their uniforms weren't lime green at one point? Right. I mean, they actually had silver helmets and all this other great stuff. Uh, so yeah, so that's... Uh, it's, it is a very sad thing. Let's see. Actually, there's a story up on it now. Let's see. And they played in the AFC West. Yes, they played in the AFC West, if you did not know that as well. They have not always been an NFC powerhouse. That uh, They are investigating the former defensive tackle's death, but there is nothing suspicious to report. All right. It doesn't say anything. It uh, was forced. In, uh, it just talks about his career now. He was a force inside. He is a Hall of Famer, and it's it's very sad because Cortez Kennedy um, is one of those guys who was so great, but almost no one ever saw him. Because they were always bad. They were horrible. Yeah. Those teams were horrendously bad, and so now he's gone. Uh, so there's that. All right. Where are we at here? Oh, man, we got so much time. What do you want to talk about? Not basketball. <laughs> Actually, I was reading an article earlier today that I found interesting that you guys might have some uh, – about baseball cards. Now, yeah. it's kind of ancillary sports thing, but it was like all the people of our generation who have all these cards from when we were kids, and they thought they were making this investment into their future and how none of them are worth anything. Yeah. And it was really interesting how the sort of how that uh, progressed from 
you, you like the Honus Wagner cards back in the day right. that were found in cigarette packs and stuff. And then in the fifties, they became this. Now we'll do packs of baseball cards and like tops. Bubblegum, bubblegum cards. And really interesting. And then so just anecdotal evidence to that. I was one of these kids who collected baseball cards in the in the eighties and early nineties, and you know thought that I was making some investment in my future. And before I moved to Hawaii, I sold my baseball card collection, which sat in a rubber tote in my basement in mint condition and thousands of cards for ten dollars total. So, you want to talk about Magic Card now? Well, those are worth money. But <laughs> that collection I sold for ten grand right. before I moved. Um, the Steve Spaces are, wow, <laughs> what? But it was just, I just found it, you know, people of our age, probably our friends and stuff that are listening to this, probably all have a similar experience where, you know, you, you grew up collecting these and cards. You had and you that worthless. binder full of basketball cards, yeah. and then your little brother cut up your Jordan rookie because yeah. he was just, you know, but being I mean, a dickhead, the, the ones and that I wanted to punch him in like, the face. Oh, that really happened to you? No, it did. I had a Jordan rookie. And he just, that might be worth something. I came home from school and it was cut up in pieces. My brother was, was he a Knicks fan? No, he's just he was just six years. Yeah, well, he was like seven. Oh, I thought he would be your older brother. No, my younger brother. You got abused by your younger brothers? Well, he he didn't know what the hell he was doing, I guess. But I just wanted to punch his face. You should have. Yeah. You should go punch him now. I should. Nah. If you had that Jordan rookie, you could afford the plane oh, ticket to go punch him. Oh, my God. Good <laughs> but that's why, you know, and that's why those those things got so expensive. Because back in the 80s, all these guys who were young in the 50s and 60s and had collected all these bubblegum cards and whatever, and they had them in their attics, and then they went home, and their, you know, their parent had died or whatever, and they're cleaning out the attic. And they're like, I wonder if this is worth anything. Worth anything. Holy crap, it's worth a lot. It's a Mickey Mantle rookie card. This yeah. thing's worth six grand. Yeah. Holy shit. And so, and then everyone's like, i got to go buy baseball cards. Well, and the other <laughs> thing is, so then the kids of our generation understood that they were worth money and kept them in mint condition, so everyone had their cards in mint so condition. So now none so of those didn't, are didn't worth even anything. mean anything. I mean, they're not the, worth the, anything. The card companies, you know, capitalize on the popularity. Yeah. The, the resurgence and mm-hmm. you know came up with like yeah you know, I guess you know premium card stock and all of this it's cards that were made to last forever and now right. it's just diluted right yeah. because before those cards weren't made to last forever so if you had one that was mint condition man it really meant something yeah and the thing is too like back if you pick the right card when you were buying them that might still be worth something like every year like when we were probably in early teens late teens whatever. You would have Topps, Don Ross, Fleer, uh, Upper Deck. You had like 17 different card yeah. companies. And if you picked like a Roger Clemens rookie. Which I owned specifically, that was what I was going to bring up. I owned a Roger Clemens rookie card among my collection. Right. My, and the total thing, I got 10 bucks. But if it was Don Ross, it wasn't as much as if it was Topps. I had the Topps one. Okay, and then Upper Deck might have been a little bit more. So, But if you picked that one that was rare, like the one where Cal Ripken has his bat. And it says like fuck off yeah. on the on the bat head. Actually, that's about, a no, Ripken it was card. Billy Ripken. I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's Billy face. Ripken. Right? It says fuck face. That's what it is. It says fuck face on his, on his bat, and they didn't catch it. All right, no one ever caught it until it was. Pick it up. I think I have it. You you have one. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. cool. So it, it, that kind of thing will it's still be valid. Eighty-five tops of the wood green. Uh, and when they figured it out, they stopped. They they kind of <laughs> photoshopped it out, and but, so you could yeah. You know. You know, I would have thought that I had some stuff like that. Like, I had Bo Jackson's rookie card, his oh, baseball yeah, rookie. Man. Bruce Smith's football rookie card. Yeah, you buddy. Know, again, Roger Clemens. Yeah. Cecil Fielder. A lot of those older players who were relevant when we were growing up. Jose Canseco, Mark McGuire, all these guys. What's Bruce Smith worth? Like, $72? Literally less than 5 bucks. Really? Like, that's awful. And it was from, like, 1982 or three. It was an old card, yeah. yeah. I mean, you could take it to a Bill's tailgate and sell it to some drunk Bill's fan for 100 bucks. Okay, well, I was trying to move to Hawaii, and I wasn't trying to take a... 
you know, hundred pound tote full of freaking baseball cards with me. Uh, so it was what it was. Ten bucks, you got it. Dude, there like, it is. Pedro Martinez. Like I had my collection was legit and right. it was worthless. Right. So I just I thought that article was interesting. I felt like a lot of people that listen well, to the show probably can can relate. To what's that. really cool now is like my nephew uh, Anthony. He's he's um he's uh first of all he's an officer, a warrant officer in the United States Army. Hurrah, go get him. He's a real American hero, just like G.I. Joe. He's the Joe. helicopter guy, right? He is. He, he flies Apache helicopters. But he also is now getting into card collecting. He has a friend who does who's doing collectibles and stuff like that, and so he, he just, he's got some time on his hand because he's not deployed at this point, which is great. Um, so he's looking at cards and stuff like that, and he's just trying to get a real grasp on it. And he's like, how do you? I mean, how do you know who to get and what to get when? I'm like, well, you got to know what. Go play magic. Well, no, I, he, <laughs> he's, he's going to do it specifically with sports and baseball in particular. And so the, you got to you got to have your your ear to the ground on prospects. You got to know who the prospects coming up are. I think what you know kind of took the fun out of it was just, I guess you know, and this is even before the internet, where shops to come out and start sell, selling, you know, selling these singles and stuff like that. I mean, the the joy of it before was like, I mean, shoot, you. Pony up, you know, you know, point up whatever money you had mm-hmm. with a bunch of friends and just buy a box. Yep, yep. And then you'd break Split the packs. The packs up. And then yeah. invariably you'd get Chet Lemon, and you'd just be like, Chet Lemon. Yeah. I wanted Ron Guidry. But you go and then right. I mean, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, so you had so much, and be like, well, well, I guess I got to do the whole set now. Check this out. I remember as a kid doing that, and you could look through the the back of the pack on some of them and see who the player was, and I was searching for a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card, right? And so I found one, and I buy the pack, that specific pack at, like, Burn Dairy or something, where they don't really sell the cards, it's just sitting there, and it was Ken Griffey Sr. Oh, no! (laughs) No, not Sr. God damn it! (laughs) The last, I guess, the last of the, uh, you know, of those pure, you know, uh, I guess you know, my drink. cartons that you could buy just to just to break packs and get like you know, I, just, I think it was that eighty nine score football. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That, I mean, shoots if uh, I remember it, score. It, I remember yeah. score. It was S Q O R, right? Or no, something no, 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 it was S C O R. Oh, is it? Oh, is it? Okay. So you break the pack, and then if you got Barry Sanders rookie in there, a few cards after that, you have Troy Aikman. because of the print, yeah. The way it yeah. Really? Yeah. That's a great pack to get. No, no, that you was, knew, no, you knew automatic, automatically yeah. you were getting something Yeah, yeah you get a few of those in one carton, so that, yeah, it would, it would pay you off big time. Awesome. All right, guys, well, that was a good discussion. I, I like the, the sports card. See, this is the great thing about this show. we got these things that we're going to talk about, but if it goes in a different direction, we're cool with it, except for we can't always talk about NBA. I mean, it's the one sport I know anything about. What we're do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk NBA playoffs in segment two. So Mike's going to have plenty to say, um, and uh, we're going to go for, uh, forward with that. We're also, we're, we'll do a lot of NBA stuff. We're going to play another song for you now. This is from uh, Chris Cornell as well. This is um, the late Chris Cornell. This is a solo song that was on the 1993 uh, original motion picture soundtrack to the movie Singles, which if you've never seen is a really cool little movie. However, the soundtrack is a far better thing than what the actual movie was. Well, the movie was okay. Bridget Fonda, uh, was it uh, Matt Dillon? Um, who else was in there? Oh, Der- um, well, it doesn't matter, obviously, because I can't remember. Oh, Kira Sedgwick. That's who I was trying to think of. Kira Sedgwick was in it. Anyway, so here, here's the song. It's called Seasons, and it's from the, uh, the soundtrack to Singles. We'll be back just after this on Sports and Beer with Friends.
we're back. So, uh, Seasons from uh, the soundtrack for Singles, a uh, really great song. If you want to just showcases him as a songwriter, as a very soulful voice, and just, uh, I put this on Facebook the other day. Uh, excuse us. If uh, he was the kind of artist who was letting you in, even if you didn't realize he was letting you in. Like, if you go back and, and look at his lyrics now, you can see he was kind of a tortured dude. Um, so anyway, but we would like you to remind you that Sports and Beer with Friends does not own the rights to the music we play. It is for your listening enjoyment only. And if you like the music, we encourage you to purchase these songs from iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, or wherever music is sold. This week's featured artist is the late Chris Cornell. Cornell died this week at the age of 52 from an apparent suicide. And as one of the founders of Seattle's grunge scene of the 90s, he and his band Soundgarden were at the forefront of a rock revolution. He went on to do many things solo, plus uh, obviously the side project Temple of the Dog, which we were talking about may be the best band he was ever in. And uh, later he joined the three... Um, three of the members of Rage Against the Machine to form the supergroup Audio Slave, which is also excellent. Chris Cornell was an absolute great artist, one of my absolute favorites. Uh, just a voice that is not common. Like the range that he had with vocally was just, and emotionally, his, his depth of emotion when he sang, it was just not a common artist. He just was a very excellent, excellent artist. So uh, we enjoy that. So we're playing more of that stuff. We are, we do have an Audio Slave song coming up. We've got something from Temple of the Dog. We have another Soundgarden tune we're going to play. So you somehow skip Black Hole Sun in this? Uh, no, I'm not going to put the one everyone knew. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Okay, good. Uh, my favorite Soundgarden album was Bad Motor Finger, which is the one that came out actually about the same time as Nirvana's Nevermind and, yeah. and Pearl Jam's mm-hmm. Ten and Allison uh, Allison Chains uh, Dirt. That was their first or not one, dirt, and then uh, Super Unknown was the one everyone. Did. Yeah, Super Unknown was the big one. Uh, but my favorite songs, like like I, I went down through, I'm looking at it, like what are my favorite Soundgarden songs? The Rusty Cage, which is uh, one of the songs we played right off the top of the, the show. And then we got uh, Jesus Christ Pose, and also um, the, uh, Outshined, which is a really great song. One of my favorite lines, uh, you know, I'm feeling California, but I'm, I'm looking California, but I'm feeling Minnesota, you know, which is just a, that's the kind of lyrics that he wrote. It was just great stuff. So I, I love Soundgarden. Uh, I hope that you do too. I hope you're enjoying this music. Uh, but right now we're going to get into the NBA playoffs. They continue. And uh, I wrote this again before game three. I wrote this just one simple question about the NBA playoffs and it's what happened to the Spurs and Celtics. And I think, um, did you write this before the fourth before quarter? the fourth quarter of Game <laughs> Three? But still, it, I think it's, it's still a valid question. With the Spurs, you can kind of look at it and say, well, they really haven't had their best player in the entire series. And they're and and for the spoiler alert, if, quarters they had them right, they dominated. They were really good. They were up big, twenty something. Um, yeah. yeah, and so obviously the Spurs have since been eliminated. Uh, the Celtics somehow managed to win a game, and we're sitting here on. Tuesday before Game Four, so we'll see how that goes. Um, I got to tell you, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think NBA fans. I think I don't think there's a lot of excitement around these playoffs. And there shouldn't it, be. Their playoffs have been completely unimpressive, non-competitive. We, we talked about it about this was like little after the midway point, or it's like right after the All Star game about how predictable the NBA was going to be. Yeah, and I mean everything just I mean fell into place. Exactly how we picked it. And, and the thing is, too, is very few people, like the the, I, I mean, your talking heads, your your correspondents, analysts, whatever, were really even talking about Golden State and Cleveland, not because they weren't interesting or because they weren't good. Because it was obvious. It's because it's so obvious. Like we we have to talk about other things, or else people are just gonna not. They're just gonna tune out now. 
Because if we start talking about how good these two teams are, like on and a regular fair, basis. In the regular season, Cleveland really wasn't. They were like 51 and 31. After the All-Star break, they were not. Yeah. Before the All-Star break, they were still really good. Yeah. I mean, they were. you could still see they were searching for stuff. They haven't played defense all season, really. I mean, even to this point, they haven't played a whole lot of defense. Um, which is why I don't think they'll, they'll give Golden State much of a, a series if it ends up being those two teams. I don't think Boston would give them anything better. There's no way Boston takes a game off Golden State. Seriously. No, no I think way. I think the average margin of victory would be a four-game sweep in the average margin. I was going to say 30, but yeah. yeah. I mean, it literally would be that bad. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think that's an issue that the NBA needs to look at too, though. Well, I don't know how you, I don't know how you fix it, but, I mean, you have a salary cap. And you still can't get parity in your league. Well, part of it is you got like Steph's making a third of what he should be making, so it puts them in a position. And the salary cap being a soft cap and the ability to pay luxury There's tax, it's like, well, a team like Golden State's taking in all kinds of money because they're huge fan base. Every game sold out, selling jerseys, money that this franchise has never seen before. Yeah, they can afford to pay luxury tax. They're like, wow, well, yeah, we're just going to keep doing this because we know what it's like to be irrelevant. Yeah, same with Cleveland. Right. Who really knows what it's like to be irrelevant. At, well, I, I, yeah. I mean, I would really argue that Golden State is worse off than Cleveland ever was because at least Cleveland's in the Eastern time zone. So people can watch them play, you know. But it's still, I mean, you, you, still have get, you still have to have the minds to put everything into place because, I mean, it's just look at somebody like Brooklyn. Right. Right? I mean, they tried. They that was a they horrible. Build miserably. Stupid idea. I, I mean, let's take these two with, old guys. With money. Right. Well, we're right. gonna give you. We're gonna get these two old guys. <laughs> Five years past their prime. Garnett and Pierce. Right. Well, you've just seen them go to to two NBA finals and four conference finals and four seasons together. So okay, great. But now we're gonna ridiculously overpay for it. Like we're gonna give you not only money but capital, like right. draft picks, players, yeah. and most importantly, draft picks. Because now I, I I wonder if let's we'll talk Brooklyn about neutered that. themselves for ten years. Not they really did. Yeah, like the Boston Celtics just got through the through the wonderful the people number one in pick. Brooklyn. They got the number one pick in the draft. Even and though they'll have it again next year, and that's that's exactly what my point was going to be. In all likelihood, Boston is going to get the best player in this draft, and then next year they're going to be even better. Probably make it somewhere near the conference finals again, and also have a really good shot at getting the number one pick again next year. Yep. That is ridiculous. And well, yeah, and then when when it happened, everybody was like, I mean, you know, there, there's here comes Brooklyn. Here comes Brooklyn. Like, well, how stupid can they be? I mean, uh, within their own freaking division, they're gonna do that. Right. No one look who's laughing now. Right. <laughs> The Nets, the Nets made the playoffs in 2014. Yeah, that was the year um, when that Pierce and Garnett were only 36 or whatever. Right. So they made the playoffs, lost their playoff series, and they have not been back since. And they won't be for a while. The Celtics missed the playoffs only one year. They blew it all up, got a lot of capital back for it, and because of the coach they hired, they only missed one year of the playoffs. They're the right GM, right coach. I mean, yeah. These guys are, are really, uh, and again, you know, obviously Gordon Hayward is coming here in the offseason because he gets to play for his college coach. Right, and now that okay, so let's talk about that. Okay, so the NBA all all the NBA teams came out this past week, and I didn't even realize this until it happened because I didn't. I just I guess I'm not that plugged in to the way the salary cap works. Apparently now the rule in the collective bargaining agreement is you cannot get a max contract if you haven't been on one of the all NBA teams in the previous two seasons. 
Oh, I was not aware of that. Um, yeah. First, so first team, second team, and defensive team. Right. No, uh, first team. No, the first three. Now, the, and, uh, I don't. I don't know if the all defensive team counts. I think it's all NBA first team, second team, third team. That's it. Oh, that's it. Okay. Um, so now you've got uh, Paul George and Gordon Hayward, who are no longer eligible to receive max con- the super max, super max super max contracts from their teams, which are four years, two hundred and twenty million dollars. Okay. Five years. Five, uh, so it's $44 million a year. It's, it's okay, five, right. 20 years. That's fine. So it's $44, whichever it is. So it's four years, five years, whatever it is. And the other thing is, you can only offer that to your own player. Right. So if, free, if you he's only made get, an all-NBA team. And the free agents, you can only offer four years and a little bit less. It's, it's like a lot. 160 or 60. Right. It's, it's literally a, a, ma- a total value difference of about $60 million. So, like, so, you know, so now Utah can't offer that to Gordon Hayward. They have no upper hand. Right, they don't. Uh, what does he deserve it? Though? I mean, I don't think. Here's the thing. I don't think Gordon Hayward's a max player. Agreed. I, 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 but there's a lot of guys who aren't max players who, who get, get max money. Deals. Absolutely, there are. Like Tyron Thompson. Like Mike Conley. Mike Conley. Mike Conley's another perfect example. This and is he's guy. very, very good. This is not an indictment of Mike Conley. Right. It's just not worth five years, 150 million. I think. The, the, but the problem is this. This is where you need a salary cap, right? Because the the owners are basically telling you, if we didn't have this in place, we would literally give this. One of us, we would. Every yeah, one of us, would. there'd be 30 guys in this league who'd made 200 million dollars because we'd all think our guy was a max guy. Every one of us. Gordon Hayward. If they could, they would give him 200 million dollars. Now, Paul George, you can make a case Paul George is a max guy. Gordon Hayward's not a max guy. Did you see that thing about the Lakers possibly trading for Paul George? They would like to. That, that scenario? Well, now it's more likely. Because Indiana, now, Indiana, one thing that Indiana was going to have, that super max contract in their back pocket, it doesn't exist. They can't do it. They can only offer him 160, and the, and the Lakers can offer him 135. So I, I, I don't know if, uh, as, a, as a Lakers fan, if, uh, you know, no, I mean, I wouldn't want Paul George. Well, I don't know. I think that I think I don't know. Not th- want him and not want him for forty-four million dollars a year are two different conversations. Yeah, I would. That is, that, that is true. Yeah, I wouldn't I want would, him for. I wouldn't want him for forty-four million. No, no, not at all. <clears throat> I think in that team. Okay, so this this is what this is what's going to happen. Here's next year's starters if they don't get Paul George for the Lakers. Uh, Lonzo Ball, D'Angelo Russell. That's your backcourt. Move D'Angelo Russell to where he will be a better player at the two. Because he's not a good one. He is. He's not a point guard. We understand. Very, very bad point guard. Um, and then you have Brandon Ingram at the three, Julius Randle at the four, and you've got the kid, the Z Zubach or whatever his name is, as your center. And it's young. Can he coming off the bench? Maybe. I mean, maybe you still have Jordan Clarkson too, and you still have Larry Nance. It's a bunch of young, good, super players. young. Yes. Right. You're not going to win 50 games, but you could three years from now. Right. With that group, you could three years from now if you're able to keep all. If you're able to keep all. Um, so, I, I think the Lakers are in a good spot. But if you take that and you remove Julius Randle and put him on the bench and put Paul George there. Now, you're now you're a playoff team. You're probably a playoff team in the West. I wouldn't say in the East. That's a playoff team. That's probably a four seed in the East. Yeah. In the West, that's a that's a guy. That's a team that's going to compete for yeah, compete for a playoff spot. Um. So I, I think the Lakers fans, I think to a degree, do want Paul George. But uh, again, they wouldn't want him at forty four million. But if you're going to get him for four years, one hundred and thirty five, 
And if it's I'm just an injury, oh no, I, I yeah, I get it, I get what you're talking. So about. I was watching the game live where that happened to Kevin Ware of Louisville. Oh my god! Yeah. And it was one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. I almost threw up watching basketball on my television. Seriously, like just. And if you're not familiar with the injury, Paul George in international competition for the Olympic oh. tryouts um, broke his leg in a compound fracture, which broke the skin. So his le- his his lower leg, his bones was sticking out of his skin, bro. Out. Now, in the Kevin Ware one for Louisville, like, I watched it live so you got to see it. And then, obviously, they they never replayed it on TV because it was like... That gross. Oh, my God, we just realized what happened. And uh, one of the worst things you can ever imagine seeing. Yeah, it was awful. And that's what happened to Paul George. So that's where Steve's coming from. The injury history, I I think... But to get a player like Paul George for four years, $135 million, in in the NBA today, that's a bargain player. For a player of that caliber. Right, that's what I'm saying. For for a guy like Paul George to be able to have him for four years and $135 million, that's a bargain deal. Give so the that. thing about the NBA, and when you compare salaries, um, NFL roster is 55 guys plus, what is it, nine practice squad guys. Yeah, you got um, It's a total of 60. It's actually uh, 10 practice squad, 50, it's 63 guys. And then in baseball, it's like 25 guys plus three reserves, essentially. So right. you get 28 guys. In the NBA, you're splitting the money between 12 active players and three reserve spots. And so the NBA makes a bunch of money, but you only have to pay 15 guys. There's 450 people that play in the NBA. Uh, and so how does the D-League structure work? Does the parent D-League club, guys get paid nothing. Right. Like, but the parent they club make pay less that? than I do. Right, right. They're, they're making yeah. 45000 a year. Yeah. To play basketball, though. It's awesome. I'd probably <laughs> trade spots with them. Don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, yeah, they wouldn't trade spots with you, and no one, on, no one would. The, the other difference is, I probably don't have an opportunity to advance from the D League to the NBA, and probably everybody in the D League thinks that they can make the NBA. Right. You would be like, no, nah, I'm just here for the chat. I'm just here for the forty grand and the playing basketball for a living thing. Hoops, baby. Yeah. A ball out. <laughs> I'm a gym rat, mofo. Um, yeah. So that's exactly right. And, and baseball is the same way because baseball. Well, baseball is a little different because you have this massive farm system where you're paying all these people and all these instructors. and Multiple and, and levels. Regardless of the fact that you're not paying any one of these particular people a lot of money, except for some of your higher level AAA guys, you're paying so many people that it's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, baseball generates a ton of revenue. A ton. Well, 162 home games. Right. And, and not or, just I'm that. sorry, 81 home games. 81 home games, yeah. uh, but you also, I mean, you uh, merchandise. Baseball is a very lucrative business. People aren't losing money. $12 beers. Right. Um, and so you have these massive farm systems, but you only have 40 guys on your major league, you know, your 40-man roster, and only 25 active. 15 of those 40 guys are in AAA and AA. Or, or all on, up at will. Or on injured reserve. Or not injured, the disabled list. The NBA is moving more towards that, like, farm system setup where your team has a D-League feeder team and stuff, and they've improved that setup. It's still not um, – Baseball's got a 120-year head start. Yeah, right. I mean, they've been doing it for a long time. Uh, So, but again, but baseball players make just as much or more than basketball players. Well, maybe not more, but I mean, they don't – I don't think anyone's making 40 million bucks in baseball right now, but Mike Trout might – Well, they just paid Harper what? 20-ish? Yeah, for one year. It's yeah, a one-year deal. 21 to it's a one, it's, million. It's just to tie him up for that 2018 season. And when I saw season. that number for Bryce Harper, I was like, man, they're stealing. And he's still – well, that's because they don't have control over him. Yet. They still don't have control. I mean, they, at the end of that – No, the team is stealing to get him for that money because I'm comparing it – But he has no NBA choice. Guys. He has yeah, no choice. I know. He's, he, that's, he's arbitration eligible. They're just trying to avoid arbitration. 
And then after that season, he's still going to get a $300-plus million contract. Yeah. Still. It's like the franchise thing in the NFL, what they right. did to Bryce Harper, very similar. Kind of, and but just avoid arbitration, and you just make sure you tie him up. And you give, you're, you're, gonna, you're looking at it this way. We're never going to win an arbitration case against Bryce Harper. And we got a year to negotiate a real contract. Right. Yeah. So with that way, we don't have to worry about pissing him off in arbitration like the Yankees did to Dell and Batanzas. The, the thing with the difference with uh, MLB and NBA, the MLB contracts are just retarded. Like, you look at a guy like Pujols, who at 31 or 32 signs a 10-year 10, 10, 10 deal. Worth two reportedly, million. Reportedly. 30 reportedly. Allegedly 32 allegedly, years old. Yeah. Because he's an international player, so he may well have been 35 at that point. And the thing is, with the NBA, it's like they limit it to five years for your captive players that play for your team and four years for free agents. And that's perfect. Yes. Because... You know, after five years, the guy is not the same player. Again, it's the it's the it's the owners saying we're not we're not. I'm not committing forty million no, no, to you at that's not what they're saying at all. They're saying I don't have the self control to not do this in the moment, so I have to legislate it now. Yeah. Because if I if I'm given the opportunity to give this guy a ten year contract, I'm going to give it to him. You, like Cleveland would give LeBron sure. ten years right now. Of course they would. And we know that LeBron's LeBron probably like, two nah. more years in his prime. LeBron's if like, that. At this point, LeBron's like, nah, just give me a one year deal. Basically, forty for all intents and purposes, yeah. a one-year forty million dollar deal. You know, you can sign me for three, but I'm opting out after one, and then you're going to pay me more. Right. <laughs> yeah. And if I don't want to be here, I don't have to be. Because in the NBA, your max contract is thirty-five percent of your total salary cap. Correct, Amundo. And next year's salary cap. This year's ninety-four million. They anticipate next year to be one hundred and ten. So you'd be sort of a fool to sign long term. Absolutely. When I could get thirty-five percent of one ten next year, you'll you know. you'll you know when you're going to know. When LeBron knows his skills are diminishing, when he signs a six-year deal. <laughs> I was going to say when he signs a contract that's not a max contract, but I don't know that he'll ever do that. No, he won't. Yeah. No. And I, I again, we're, that's that's a good question. When when is it when is it going to be a, a like, okay, Dwayne the decline? Wade signed a, they gave him a max contract, right? For Chicago, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> and he's again far diminished, and far he far. is going to be opting out. And he's going to be, be a, a seventeen and five guy, right? You know what I mean, like seventeen points, five assists, five rebounds. Like that gets you a ton of money in the NBA. Right, seventeen and five gets you a ton of money. But that's you know just looking each other in the eye. It's not a, you're not a max guy. No, but you he's going to get a max deal somewhere. Like, take the name off the back of the jersey, and you're going. Hmm. Give me one of them youths off San Antonio. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. Give me a Dejounte Murray or a Jonathan Simmons. Who's on his way up? Or the McCaw kid from from Golden State, yeah. or yeah, one of those yeah. guys. McAdoo, who can't get on the court, from right? Golden State. Jalen Brown from the Celtics. You know, yeah. There's a bunch of guys like that. Yeah, that I would rather have than Dwayne Wade. But if I'm giving somebody a max contract, I want Carl Anthony Towns. I want Anthony Davis. I want a guy who like has a future. Right. Well, you that's going to be interesting when I those can guys build around free. those guys. Right. You know? Yeah, like there's no chance those guys aren't getting max deals when they come up because. Carl Anthony Towns is going to be an All NBA player very soon. So let's assume Cleveland makes the finals because they're going to they're okay. going to make it in five games. What most is, likely yeah. make an argument to me that they don't get destroyed by Golden State? I can't. Yeah, me neither. There's not one to be made. I don't think they're not as good a defensive team as they were last year anyway. And just like you alluded to earlier, I don't think the refs are going to let as much stuff go. I think this we year. were talking about that off the air, but I've mentioned it on air a bunch of times. Like, right. The reason Cleveland won the finals last year is because the refs let them beat Golden State up 27 feet from the basket. Right. They, they allowed them to put their hands on them. Those are fouls. Right. In today's they NBA, are. those are fouls. And those fouls were not called in that series, and that's why Cleveland won that series. And so when they went back, like, you know, they had the um, – 
the finals two three two or two two one 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 format that they play. Um, I want to say they split the first two games and then went back to Cleveland. And in Cleveland, they just allowed Cleveland to push those guys around. Well, no, remember that. Now they, remember, Golden State got off three one. Three one, right? And it, the at the end, it was chuck 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 guys beat right. them up. And they let it go. Well, that's exactly what happened. Tyron Lue was down 3-1, and he basically looked at his guys and said, look, man, we're fighting for our lives. Got to beat them up. Just go get them. Go get them. And if they call it, they call it. If they don't, go get them harder. And that's exactly what happened. And they were able to come back in historic fashion, and good, good for them. Absolutely good for Golden for Cleveland, but I don't think Golden State's uh, gonna gonna have that happen to them this year. I don't think the refs are gonna do the same thing again. LeBron was historically good. Oh in my the finals. God, was he amazing. Um, he needs to one up his performance from last year for them to win games. Like I don't really think they can win four. For them to win games, he needs to go for something like forty, twelve, and twelve. Seriously, Kyrie's like, gonna have to play perfect. And yeah, Kyrie's gonna have, gonna have to average. Be in there like shooting seven, eight threes, like something crazy. They're, and they're gonna need stuff <laughs> off the shoot sixty percent. They're gonna need stuff they're not getting right now, which is off the bench. Kyle Korver has done nothing. To be fair. I don't know that Cleveland is even mentally locked in now because they still, yeah. much like Golden State, have not had any competition. Right. And I think when these two, for what it's worth, the playoffs have sucked. Yes. And there's a good chance that these two teams come in and play their A-plus game against each other. And it and might they, be amazing. And it could be. But I think if they both play their A-plus game, Golden State wins by 12 to 15 points every game. So um, you really need yeah. Cleveland to play A-plus against Golden State's B-plus or A-minus game where they're missing some shots that they normally make to to have this be competitive. And then if Pachulia takes out LeBron, I mean, it's all over. I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> I'm just saying. My money's on LeBron. Uh, yeah, I mean, but Zaza's, uh, he's crafty. That was but a hell of a step. It's just, you look at the you look at their second units, and you look at Go- Golden State's second unit legit makes the playoffs. Like, Probably, in either yeah. conference. They're, I think their second unit's honestly better than Portland, who get the eighth seed in the in the West. So you got Livingston. Dude, their second unit's like Iguodala. David West, Iguodala. Sean Livingston. Yeah, um, Ian Clark's good. Yeah. And, and then beyond even their second unit, sort of the guys who never play are guys who, for most teams, are their seventh man. You right, know? right. McAdoo plays 20 minutes for most teams. He can't get on the court. Yeah, that's true. And Cleveland is not that. I mean, they don't even have Della Vadova anymore. And he's laughing, but I'm serious. They yeah. don't even have Delavadova anymore. The guy who's just going to go Amon out there and Schumper, make... who ruined himself when he took away the flat top. I mean... Awful. With... Should have never just... got rid of that flat top. That was his mojo, baby. Well, first of all, you, you got to know that this, it kills Mike to see J.R. Smith and Amon Shumpert winning rings in Cleveland and yeah. jumping around as a Knicks fan. Because I remember when they Shumpert came up with the Knicks, and when they got J.R. Smith, you were pretty excited. I'll put it this way. When they got Carmelo... You were I was, super excited. No. I was like, <laughs> I want Carmelo to play for the Knicks. I'm a, I'm a Syracuse guy. I'm a Carmelo fan. They gave up their future to get Carmelo. They, they gave up Wilson Chandler. They gave up uh, Gallinari. Yep. They gave up basically like five players to get Carmelo, who are all like contributing players. Boy. And then Carmelo's good, but if you don't surround him with other pieces, he's never, you know, he can't carry you. Have any basketball, I mean, how many basketball players? In recent years, have had worse luck with health than Danilo Garlinari. 
Because there's a guy that could be a star. He could be a real player yeah. in the NBA, but he's just constantly hurt. He could be making $20 million. He could be making $40 million. <laughs> but he probably won't because he's not going to make an All-NBA So team. that trade was almost a Herschel Walker-esque trade. Where, not quite to that degree, but... Not, it wasn't as good as the Celtics trade, baby. Hey. Right. No, it wasn't. But it was, you know, Denver won. Yeah, oh no. They, they clearly won. They clearly won that trade, and uh, yeah, I mean... Uh, and now uh, the Knicks are horrible. Okay, the Knicks, the whole situation is awful. And the worst part about it is they're not bad enough to get a really great draft pick. The thing with the Knicks is they literally blew it up and became an expansion team with no assets, mm-hmm. but except playing in Madison Square Garden, that would be a huge improvement. Right, you would have a you'd have a rosier outlook on the future. No question. Than you do right now, because yeah. now you got a, a situation where they're trying to force Carmelo Anthony out, and he's not really keen on leaving. Uh, and now you got Kristaps Porzingis, who won't even stop to do an exit interview. This is how they're going to treat me? Right. Seriously. No, he is. I, I read a story, and Kristaps is not happy in New York. He wants to win. To win. But what happened was... Next year, he'll play for Golden State. Or as he made his way around the league the last couple of years, he talked to other stars, to other players on other teams, and asked them how their organizations were run. And then through hearing the stories of how those organizations were run, he became very disenfranchised. They treat me well and talk good about me in public. Right. Uh, and they make moves that are to, designed to make the team better. Yeah. And they know what they're doing. Then he talks to Carmelo and he's like, well, they pretty much shit on me whenever they have a chance. Right. And give me no support. So Porzingis is just like, I don't know if I want to be here. And then he just fired his valet or whatever the guy's position was. I mean, he was an assistant coach, but it was his like, right, basically his personally as a guy to keep him comfortable in, in a right. foreign country, yeah, and they fired the dude. Yeah. yeah, you know, oh, you're not happy? Fine, we're going to fire your dude. Jesus Christ, man. This guy's your future. He's literally... He's the one good decision you've made in the last and you just, five you, years. And now. you but, managed but, to ruin that, too. The Lakers made that decision for him. They really did, because they should have taken him at number three. Yeah. Or was it number two? Whatever it was. I, I'm going to be honest with you. When they drafted him, I was like, this sucks. Another guy I've never heard of. He's going to be in Europe for two years. Yeah. He's going to be a draft and stash. Of course, when they when he started playing, it was, holy crap, they drafted a unicorn. But even so, how many minutes did he get this year? Like 17? No, more than that, but not enough. Yeah. Not enough, He wasn't. Man. You remember that draft? How we died? Yeah, Porzingis. But going into the draft, we Steve and I had found these because we'd heard the name Kristaps Porzingis. So we went on YouTube and we're looking at highlights of this kid from Lithuania, and he's playing for who? What is he? Was he playing for Barcelona or Real Madrid? Whichever. He's playing Spanish league basketball, and we're like Porzingis. Yes. And. Grant, our good friend at work, Grant Akamura, God bless you, Grant. He's a diehard Lakers fan, and he's like, and we said well, they should draft Porzingis, and he's like, no, not Porzingis. The same thing you're doing, yeah, not that guy. I Give don't me want somebody I've heard of. I don't want a European big. I want this guy. I want that guy. Yeah, but and they should have taken Porzingis. Everybody should have taken Porzingis. Was it, was it Russell that they picked? D'Angelo Russell. That was the year they took D'Angelo Russell. Um, uh, I think the Celtics took Marcus Smart in that draft. They should have taken Porzingis. Porzingis! Although I don't think they had a higher draft pick than the Knicks did that year. Looks like I should have picked uh, the Greek freak. Oh, my, everybody should have picked uh, yeah, John. Oh there's God. a guy that got passed on by a ton of Jesus. Is that Olenek? Yeah, we took uh, Olenek instead of Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yeah, which so I love. Porzingis played 33 minutes a game. Oh, okay, that's good. That's an improvement. Surprisingly, only 45% from the field, 36% from three. I would have expected those to be. But he takes a lot more threes than he than probably he should. should. Yeah, probably should, yeah. But, you know, when your organization has no leadership, you don't explain to your 7'2 guy that hey man, three-point shots are, should not be what you should be doing out here. Like, right. Occasional. 
I want you to take a few. Look, if you're wide open in the corner, you should shoot it. Take a few. But that's not what I want you doing. Yeah. You're not a stretch you five. You shouldn't be wide open in the corner because you should be <laughs> four feet from the basket. Getting that offensive board and putting it back. But hope I mean he's still got so much time to improve his he's game. He's twenty one or whatever. Right. He's still yeah. he's still remaking his body, all this stuff. But he again, he already wants out of New York. Sucks. And that should not be the way it is. In your league, any professional league, you want players to want to be in New York, in Los Angeles, in Chicago. You want those teams to be good. Like Madison Square Garden is special. I've been right. there a bunch of times, seen Big East tournaments, seen Nick games. <coughs> like, it was a thing, like living five hours from New York City, it was like, what do you want to do for your birthday? Let's get Knicks tickets. You yeah. know what I mean? We'll Let's go spend a couple day. days in the city and go to the Garden. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like... That, you know, you're on Fifth Avenue. You're on the corner of 33rd and 34th. You know what I mean? You're and, right there in I, the middle of everything. And if you're a person that's never been there and you do, never, you just don't understand the energy of it, you don't understand, it's just a completely different thing. Steve, you've been to New York, yeah? Yeah. I, I mean, it's just a completely different energy than any other city, even on the East Coast. Like, Boston's different. Other, the thing like, is, you're, you're 20 blocks from everything you've heard of on TV. If right. you've never been to New York City, you're... you're Times Square is 10 blocks to the north. Little Italy is 20 blocks to the south. All of this stuff that is t- things to do, people yeah. to see, uh, FAO Schwartz, you know what I mean? Like Radio Literally. City Music Hall right Literally there. Literally done all these things. Like all of this cool <laughs> stuff. And it, then you got the garden who, and surrounded by these huge buildings, but this arena right. right there. The American Museum of Natural History is there. If you ever saw a night at the museum, that was that museum. Yeah. And I've been there with my daughter and my and it's just a it's a great place to be and exactly the excitement of being in New York City should be enough for a young player to say, I don't ever want to leave this place. Right. I want to be here. And still the most valuable franchise. And still the most valuable franchise. And and that's exactly. It should, the allure of the Knicks should be this big shining thing and it just hasn't been. You know, I want to go play in Minnesota with Carl Anthony's house. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go sign with Cleveland and play with LeBron. Maybe the lake will catch fire. Again. What, what, what other landing spot do you think realistically for him? I mean, guys that have Boy, the assets. To he seems guy. to be enamored of the Clippers. Well, <laughs> Apparently on Twitter. <laughs> Can you imagine losing to the Clippers? Oh my God. Just watch where his, uh, his dude goes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, this there, somebody's gonna pay the guy like fifty grand a year to come here. So, what, what's my job title? Uh, your job title is this. Your job description. Yeah. Your job description is get me that dude. That's it. You don't have to do anything else. You're gonna sit here until he's a free agent, and then we're gonna lure him with the with having you here. Um, yeah. So that's that. talk about that. So I, I mean, I didn't even realize that Mike Brown was an assistant head coach. Golden State. For Golden State yeah. until like well this is like he's maybe done most three quarters of the way through the season. I was say he's done most of the coaching recently. Yeah, no, I mean well he's been <laughs> the head coach. coach I mean Steve Kerr's been out. So. That's actually one of the weeks we didn't do a show. I was going to do a segment on is Steve it? Kerr's not coach. Did you realize Steve Kerr wasn't coaching this, the 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 Warriors because I hadn't? I was so like, oh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter one <laughs> damn bit. If there's ever a guy who's hurt his case for ever winning Coach of the Year again. It's Steve Kerr by missing games and just letting his team just go off for two months and miss, lose all games. Like a huge, uh, a huge mistake when they let Mark Jackson go. And it's like, oh, they got better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. it's like, oh, they still are just as good. Go maybe, figure. Maybe it's just the personnel. <laughs> oh, maybe it's like their twelfth man is your sixth man. Right. You know. Maybe it's just their rosters. Well, Mike better. Brown has had like, I mean, shoots. He's coached LeBron twice. Yes. Right. Yes. 
then coached the Lakers. He went to the playoffs once and mm-hmm. then got fired like five games into you know the next season. The next yeah. season. Because of all of a sudden, unrealistic he, expectations from the Lakers franchise. Right. But yes. Then he lands in Golden State. <laughs> right. I mean <laughs> got nine lives. There's, there's, there's worse dudes to be than Mike Brown, I guess, is no what doubt. we're getting at. <laughs> Um, I've right. seen him over there hugging Pop and everything, oh, but it's like, it's like, oh man, this guy. Oh yeah, he's living the dream. It's just crazy that you went from seventy-three and nine to getting the second best player in the NBA to join your team. And the thing is, too, as you remember, the seventy-three and nine, a lot of that was done by Luke Walton. A lot of that was not done by well, Steve Curry either. It started off like forty and zero, right? I mean, well, it wasn't forty and zero, but it was very close to forty and zero. It was like forty and four, forty-one and two, or something. Yeah, something like, like that. Like yeah. Legit. Yeah. Because I want to say the Bulls were forty-one and three in the season they won seventy-two games, and I think Golden State eclipsed it. Right. I'm pretty sure they had a, they had the best like forty had like forty-four game start or whatever it was a fifty game start in the history of the, the best league. start at any number of games essentially pretty close pretty much yeah I think yeah. there was one point where they fell behind the pace but then they immediately picked it right back up because the Bulls had lost one in the next yeah they week, won thirteen in a row and they won like thirteen in a row right yeah. exactly so but again a lot of that was done not with Steve Kerr with Luke Walton. All right, guys, uh, we're going to have to take a break because when we come back, we're going to do our new dumb sports list of the week. This week, we are counting down the top 25 rivalries in college football because college football is coming right up, man. Yeah, really. Late August is when that starts, and we're already in late May. So we're going to leave you with another uh, song by the artist Chris Cornell. This is from his band Audio Slave with uh, Tommy Morello and all the guys from uh, Rage Against the Machine, except... Zach De La Roca, of course. Uh, This is uh, Audio Slaves Like a Stone off their self-titled debut album. Uh, Enjoy. We'll be back right after this on the Sports and Beer with Friends show.
we are pleased to rejoin you here. That, of course, was Audio Slaves Like a Stone. Again, it was off their debut album, which, uh, boy, I had that up here at one point. I think that album was from, like, 2000. What year was it? 2002, maybe? Does that sound right? It was 2002 Audio Slave. They had we were actually were talking about this during the break. They had four studio albums, which was kind of a surprise. I didn't yeah. realize I didn't realize they had four. Neither did I. I was thinking they made the one album and then that was it. Yeah, I knew they had at least two, but I I thought they had finished with um, the the second. They actually set out two albums in 2002: Audio Slave, the debut album, and then another one called The Civilian Project. They went on to do an album in 2005 called Out of Exile and 2006 called Revelation. So as recently as 11 years ago, that was still a band. Um, so that's and, and Soundgarden has been uh, on tour. You know, that's where he was. Uh, he was touring when he uh, took his own life, apparently hung himself in his hotel room. Ugh. Super sad. I mean, listen, it doesn't matter. I mean, obviously, depression is a thing. And um, I, I don't know, Chris Cornell, you didn't hear about it as much with him as you did with some other guys. But, I mean, obviously, substances were a part of his life. I mean, he had a roommate who killed himself. Um uh, no, he died of a drug overdose in the early 90s. Um, he was the lead singer of Mother Love Bone, if you ever heard of that band. That was the band that later became Pearl Jam. And then, of course, uh, Lane Staley died of a drug overdose, uh, who was a good friend of his. Uh, of course, Kurt Cobain, the, everyone knows the story about he took his own life. But again, it was very much drug involved. So, And a lot of these guys that get into these drugs, depression is a, a thing that will cause a lot of people in, to go into addiction just to self-medicate. And uh, I, I don't know if, if that was the case with Cornell, but it seems like, you know, it doesn't matter how successful you are in your life. If you are clinically depressed, there's, you know, things can happen. But to uh, help you avoid your depression, we're going to get into our dumb sports list of the week because this is always a good time. We always have fun with this and we always have fun making fun of the person who wrote it. Because it's usually all. We're not going to have to get far into the list to start making fun of it. We certainly aren't because Mike's, Mike's, spoiler alert, he's seen number 25. It's the 25 best college football rivalries by uh, Michael Feinberg of newarena.com, <laughs> our favorite website. Guys, uh, I'm going to grab another beer. So, so far today, I've had a Bloody Mariana. Steve's drank a couple of Sapporos. Mike's had a Sapporo, a Longboard, a Big Wave. Jesus Christ, Mike. <laughs> thirsty. I was, I was thirsty, man. So I had the Mariana, and I had a Rolling Rock, which is one of the big beers in Hawaii. Rolling Rock, one of them green cans, good stuff. Nothing like a nice, crisp, affordable beverage. Straight from like, Pennsylvania. I'm telling you, if, old Latrobe, buddy. That's the same hometown as Arnold Palmer, who passed away this year as well. But uh, if if you're one of these guys that drinks Bud Light or Coors Light or you're Miller Light, please try Rolling Rock one time. Try a beer. Uh, right. Well, and yeah, a, a, a tasty beverage. Now I'm. Uh, this is another uh, a, a newer beer. That's you can about, just chase your beer with water if you're going to drink Bud Light. I mean, we told the story right about the New England or the uh, Carolina Denver game last year, where I refused the Bud Light after yeah. taking one sip. <laughs> I'm like, I can't drink it even though it's free. All right. So New Belgium Brewery. Uh, I guess they're all over the place now, though, aren't they? Yeah, because you can get that at Wegmans. Right, so New Belgium is an employee-owned brewery, which that's good. That's something I just their beers kind of suck. I'll be honest. With just you. I, I, I disagree. This is Fort Collins, Colorado, and Asheville, North Carolina. Are there two breweries? This is New Belgium's Fat Tire Amber Ale. Yeah, that one's all right. They're trying to make like watermelon beers and stuff like that. They can keep those. <coughs> they got a Voodoo Ranger IPA that I want to try. There's, I mean, listen, I'm not going to drink watermelon. Shandies are not my thing. Yeah, I'm not oh. into it. Don't mix fruit juice with my beer. The lemonade beers. Oh, they're awful. 
Even the Bud Light lime crap. If I want lime in my beer, I'll put a fresh lime in there. And you know what I'm not going to do? You know what I'm not going to do ever is put a fresh lime in my beer. Bud Light. Or any beer. I don't care. You don't put lime in Corona? I don't drink Corona. Okay, well. (laughs) Because that's why. Because if you've got to put a lime in it to make it taste good, it doesn't taste good. Yeah, I could drink Corona. I can drink one right now. Right? <laughs> All right, that's fine. I'm, I'm not a big, I don't like to put things in beer. Beer is beer, beer is, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's the Irishman in me, I guess. I'm like one twelfth Mexican or something. Well, there you go. Yeah. Keep putting lime in your beer. Put lime in the coconut. Who cares? All right. Uh, so Michael Feinberg's story, uh, his list here, counting down the 25 best college football rivalries, starts with number 25. It is the rivalry that has the Governor's Cup, which I'm sure only about 12 of these rivalries have a version of the Governor's Cup. The old Oaken Trophy. Right. Uh, 113 meetings. The most memorable game Most memorable game in this rivalry was a 1987 tilt that ended in a 17-17 tie. Oh, come on. It's the Kansas Jayhawks and the Kansas State Wildcats. Here's the thing. I heard Kansas versus Kansas State. I was like, that's not a football rivalry. That's BS. And then when you tell me their most memorable game was a tie. (laughs) Now, remarkably. Can we move on to number 24? Kansas leads this series 64, 44, and 5. They have a 20-game lead on Kansas State. And to me, in my lifetime, Kansas State has been the far superior program. Yeah, I mean, they made it to some mediocre bowl games. They've actually had players who play in the NFL. Like, Kansas has a few. They had Charlie Weiss, right, though? I mean... They had, as a head coach, after he got fired at Notre Dame. Yeah. yeah. Their best player, like, that I know of in their history, that I can think of, is Aqib Tlaib. Who is nasty. Right. He went to Kansas. But Terrence Newman went to Kansas State, among other guys. So, I'm just saying... Weird. Michael Bishop went to Kansas State. There's got to be 25 better rivalries than this. There's no question. <laughs> Kansas State has to have a better rivalry than this. I'm sure when we this. get to number 24, we'll be like, maybe not. All right. Number 24, another historic football powerhouse, the Indiana Hoosiers versus the Purdue Boilermakers. Did they just pick teams that are in the same state? And they Apparently, so far, this one, the trophy is the Old Oaken Bucket, which is exactly what you were just talking about. I did not read this, okay? (laughs) 118 meetings. Purdue predictably leads this 72, 40, and 6. The Boilermakers have run a train historically (laughs) in Indiana. Their best game was 1967, 19-14 Indiana victory. Uh, cross state rivals. They played as many times as nearly any. Now here's here, here's <laughs> Drew Brees. No, he wait. Did Drew, Drew Brees went to Purdue? So okay. did Kyle Orton. Okay. So did several other really good football players. Purdue is a football program okay. as much as they are a basketball program. Again, they're not particularly great in either one, but they're good enough to be relevant in both. Indiana, not so much. Indiana, a very relevant basketball program, and very few good ba- football players have come out of Indiana University. Tevin Campbell. Is that, am I saying that right? The guy from, I may be going wrong, from the Falcons, the secondary back. Coleman. Tevin Coleman. I'm sorry, yes. Tevin Coleman. Tevin Campbell. Was that the singer, the little <laughs> singer guy from like the early 90s? He was, yeah, that's who it was. Tevin Campbell. I wish he had video of a little dance time while he was explaining that. So I, I've said we need to get this on YouTube, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Tevin Coleman, the best, probably the best player to come out of there in a long time. 
off the top of my head. There might be somebody else. but Now, I think the reason why he includes these guys, they have played each other almost as much as any two teams have ever played each other. There are only 120-ish teams in Division One football, and then and when I was a kid, it wasn't quite that many. No, it wasn't. So, it was less than 100. Um, 25 rivalries is a lot, because basically it's a lot like bowl games where you're just including half of the teams. Right. So... I guess there's going to be some crappy ones. Sure. Except there there's should be a bunch be. of teams that are included in multiple of these. Correct. Like right? Ohio State has like, to be in three of these. Notre right. Dame has to be in two or three of these. Yeah. Sure. USC should be in three or four of these. Yeah. Yeah. Alabama. Should be. Everybody. Yeah. We'll, yeah we'll, we'll, and we'll get there. So number 23, we'll move on because Indiana Indiana, and, oh, my God, Purdue. Okay. So number 23, the this is actually a better rivalry than the first two. Which isn't saying much, but okay, continue. The Arizona State Sun Devils and the Arizona Wildcats. Eh. Okay, again, it's an in-state rivalry, but you have a lot of those. They're trophy. the Snake Plumber. Right, you've had really good football. Scooby Wright. Dudes that can play. Yeah, I mean, uh, Pat Tillman is part of this rivalry. Uh, Rob Gronkowski is part of this rivalry. So there's some players here. Uh, Territorial Cup is the name of the trophy. They've met 90 times. Arizona holds the lead, which I spent, it's a mild surprise, I think. Oh, Brock Osweiler was part of it. <laughs> Was part of this rivalry too. Forty nine forty. Yeah, he sure does. Forty nine forty and one. Most memorable game, Arizona State beat Arizona twenty four twenty one in nineteen seventy five. I don't think Brock Osweiler wants to be anywhere other than where he is, because he is making a bunch of money to do nothing. Yeah, I mean, he's listen. As long as he, that, this is the word that's come out of Cleveland as far as Brock Osweiler is concerned. As long as he's on the team, he is going to be competing for the starting job. And it's again, because they, they don't have any quarterbacks. They the qualified roster, so. it with as long as he's on this team, he'll compete. <laughs> Which means they don't think he's going to be on the team that long. Yeah, sure. it's because it's going to be Cody Kessler and uh, whoever they drafted. Uh, who did they draft? They drafted oh, the just, from Notre Dame. Deshaun Kaiser. That's yeah. right. Yeah, Deshaun Kaiser. All right, so this again. Come on. Number 22. This is a completely awful football rivalry, but probably the best basketball rivalry you've ever heard of. The blue, the Duke Blue Devils, and the North Carolina Tar Heels. Duke's football program all, is all one of the worst are, ones in Division One. All of these are basketball rivalries. Yeah. All right. So here's yeah, the here, right. here's the thing. I know. I used to think I knew a lot about college football. Then we tried to do a show where we talked about college football, and we decided that we didn't know anything about college football. But I know it enough to know these trophies, right? I know these rivalry game trophies. Okay. I've never heard of this trophy. <laughs> the Victory Bell. Nope. Duke's never been good. Ever. Like, who's their coach? David something. Uh, he went to Buffalo, didn't he? Didn't he? Or did he come from Buffalo? Like, he was, okay, so he was the quarterback's coach for uh, Peyton Bu- Manning. No, no, no. Not Buffalo. The Bills. The University of no, yeah, no, I know he meant the Bulls. Right. Yeah. You'd be, which where Khalil Mack came from. Um, but, yeah, I can't remember what his name is off the top of my head. And it, it, it's sad because, that, again, this is why we don't do a college football show because there's 800,000 people that you got to know. And I don't know this guy off the top of my head. He is a good football coach. And Duke has been better of late, and yes. they've had players that have gone into the NFL lately. Okay. And North Carolina, the same. A better football program of late. But to say this is a top 25 football rivalry, yeah, there's got to be better team, better rivalries than this. North Carolina leads this series. Uh, I'm trying to think of like some mediocre rivalries that Whoa. should be above this. And I'm, the first one that comes to mind is like Miami-Virginia Tech. North Carolina, for God's sake. Right? Look. If Miami and Virginia Tech's not above this, somewhere on this list. Oh, yeah. And, and 
the next fair, one is going to make you pull your hair out. Like they're not. That's not a great rivalry, but that's growing up the Big East. Those were the two best teams. Right. So it's like what Mitch Trubisky was raising that thing like the Victory Bell. <laughs> yes, the Victory Bell. Right, exactly. So, uh, 103 meetings. North Carolina leads 59 to 38 and four, which it makes sense. North Carolina has one forfeit and two wins vacated. <laughs> They vacated wins in football? Yeah, because... Oh. But, I mean, they haven't even vacated basketball wins yet. yet. They had fake classes. <laughs> the most memorable game was a 1994 North Carolina victory. They defeated Duke 41-40. to That would have been a good game to watch. Sure. Or a horrible. Either yeah. one. It's either really great or... The, the worst. two teams are probably 3-8 and eight and 4-9 and nine or whatever. Now, to know? his credit, they, these rivals are better known for their meetings on the basketball court where they've alternated winning national championships basically for the past 25 years. True statement. They've also spent the past century meeting on the football field when they've played a few where they played a few interesting games, despite only meeting once as ranked rivals. Only one time. I can't believe it's they've even met once as, as ranked. ranked yeah, exactly. Duke is almost never ranked, and North Carolina is only slightly more often than that. Yeah. All right. The next one in juxtaposition of the the four awful non rivalry rivalries that, that we've already gone through, and then this number twenty one. The Alabama Crimson Tide and the LSU Tigers at 21. The 21st best rivalry. Now, maybe he puts it down on the list because there's no trophy at stake. Well, there normally is. It's a national championship. Or the SEC championship, the SEC West title, something that really freaking matters. 81 total meetings. Alabama, I'm really surprised by this number, leads this series 51 to 25 with five ties. Alabama's always good. Always good. But it's still really because the LSUs yeah. are very good football programs. Yeah. Uh, the most memorable game is the 2011. You both remember this game where LSU beat Alabama at Alabama 9-6. to mm-hmm. The best 9-6 to football game you will yep. ever watch in now, your life. Now, to me, I'm a, I'm a guy that likes a 9-6 to football game. I can appreciate defense. Like, people, that's well, the thing. I like that one. It's probably it's probably one of the like absolutely probably in the top ten. That is the best defensive football, football game games that I've ever watched. It is the best defensive football game I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Like super exciting defensive yeah. plays. A good friend of mine was getting married at the Hilton that weekend, and I mean I actually went. I mean we were late to the freaking some kind of rehearsal. It was that good because we were watching the freaking game. Uh, the yeah. teams are not natural rivals. Is what he starts. They're in the same conference in adjoining states. I don't understand what. Well, they're Uh, not adjoining. Yeah, but still, they played in the same conference for seventy fucking years. (laughs) They literally are the two dominant programs in the conference. I mean, you know, there's a couple other Auburn, Florida, but LSU and Alabama. That's it, boy. And they both they play. Not only do they play in the same conference, they play in this. They play each other every damn year. It's funny because we're talking. Okay, so now I just thought of three off the top of my head that are definitely on this list, which is Miami, Florida State, Florida State, Florida, and Miami, Florida. Yeah, should all be on this list. Right, they better be. And well, they won't. Be. <laughs> but the thing is, for me, this is just Alabama and LSU twenty first. Yeah. Okay. That's way Continue. too low. What's, what's the one ahead of it so we can ridicule it? The number twenty. On your list, Washington Huskies versus Washington State Cougars. They the, are in the same state. The Apple Cup. Yeah. Uh, Apple which is, Cup. yeah, the Apple Cup. A- again, this is a historic rivalry in all this. But Washington has clearly dominated this series. 72 wins, 30 losses, 6 ties. But Drew Bledsoe played for Washington State, so. Yeah, so did Ryan Leaf. He was good. 
in college. <laughs> I mean, all right, what's next? This, uh, that's junk again. It's horrible. Uh, Maybe here. we should have just skipped to the top ten. Good God Almighty, they have two. Two. There was a tie for number 19. No, 19 there is the second appearance of the Kansas Jayhawks. Wow, when I saw them at 25, I was like, I cannot believe they're on this list at and all. This, they must be against Missouri. It's this the Missouri-Tigers yeah. rivalry, which Missouri leaves. Actually, this is very fairly competitive. 57, 54, and 9. Competitive mediocrity is not a right. thing I'm going to, you know. I could see them being at 25. The, Pretty much. Yeah, this would be this would be the twenty five to me. I don't think Kansas State can. Well, when Kansas you said Kansas, I went got to be Missouri. Right. Yeah. When we first started talking, but about I said it, Kansas it was, State. It was right. like wait, this one hundred and twenty meetings. So this is about as much as anyone's ever played anybody. Sure. And okay, so the name of their trophy uh, in the Border War is the Indian War Drum. It's very politically correct, progressive name for a trophy. Like Indian, like, or, you know. Not from the India. New, the New Delhi trophy? No, not at all. It could be the, you know, well, we won't get into the whole slave dynamic from Missouri and Kansas, but that's fine. Uh, one of the greatest rivalries, okay, he literally said this. One of the greatest rivalries in college football, this one takes a huge hit because these teams haven't played since Missouri left the Big 12. also takes a big hit because both suck. fucking suck. <laughs> Horrible football. I mean, Missouri's better. Okay, Missouri's yep. better, and they've been better lately. And this is a, a, but Kansas is just an awful football team. People, they've never been good. Not in my lifetime. Like maybe like in the World War II era or something. Do, do you guys remember the um, the movie Necessary Roughness? Sure. Do you remember the first tie that the Texas State Armadillos were able to? The first time they were able to not lose a game in that movie, <laughs> it was against Kansas in a driving rainstorm. <laughs> it's awful. All right. Uh, number 18, again, this is, I think this is low. I think this is low. Um, if you know, there's no, there's no trophy involved in this, even though it is an in-state rivalry. It's a Big 12 rivalry. It's one of my favorite games to watch. Exact Bedlam. It's one of my favorite games to watch every year. There's, this, this game is always tons of passion. Great players on both sides. Uh, you know, you got uh, Des, Barry Sanders, Barry Sanders, Des Bryant, uh, Thurman uh, Thurman oh, Thomas, a bunch of guys. Uh, uh, that's just Oklahoma State folks. Yeah. That, we haven't got to Oklahoma yet, which had you know Brian Bosworth, historically, great. Demarco Murray, game winning streak. Yeah, I mean, just one of the best programs that's ever yeah. existed. I mean, they they are the Alabama of the Big Twelve. I mean, they are what Texas wants to be. Ooh, I said it. Anyway, um, so anyway, but Bedlam, uh, and here's the other thing, though, and this will tell you how great Oklahoma is, because Oklahoma State has a good football program. Not, They also have a good basketball program, yep. historically. Oklahoma leads this series 85 wins, 18 losses, seven times. I'm shocked at that. So, to, super shocked. Oh, my, 110 meetings. Oklahoma rules this. It, it, like, it's not close. It's a one-sided rivalry, and Oklahoma has dominated this series for 100 years. Wow. Yeah. Again, seems low at 17 for the Paul Bunyan Trophy. And if you know anything about Big Ten football, yeah. the Paul Bunyan Trophy is Michigan-Michigan State. 17th best rivalry in the country. I would have put that as, like, I mean, definitely top ten. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that's a top ten rivalry. That's Michigan-Michigan State. Again, great players on both sides. They've met 109 times. It's a bit lopsided with Michigan, but Michigan's been Michigan. They, they're they the winningest program in the history of college football. So Michigan's got to be somewhere else. <coughs> I mean, they they got a top five. For, they really have a case I mean, at number one. No, yeah, no, definitely. For sure, yeah. Uh, let's see, cross-state rivals. They've been playing since 1898, and uh, the, the Spartans played as the Michigan Agricultural College Farmers. 
What? Michigan State was originally the Michigan Agricultural College, and their their mascot was the Farmers. Dun wow. dun 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 dun. And then Kirk Cousins went there. <laughs> yeah, Kirk Cousins and many many other really great football <laughs> players went there. Uh, most memorable game was 2001's Michigan State 26-24 victory over Michigan. Did uh, Calvin the Johnson House. go there too? Uh no. no, Calvin Johnson did not go to Michigan State. Where didn't Calvin Johnson go? Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech. Yeah, uh, it was an option offense. You know, when it, yeah, you can't. You, when people say, "Oh, the Raiders should have taken Calvin Johnson number one," then you can excuse that because he he was not used as a wide receiver very much. They didn't throw the ball very often. Number sixteen. This is ahead of Michigan, Michigan State. I want to remind you that before I say this, this is ahead of Michigan, Michigan State, and LSU, Alabama. Baylor and TCU. Okay, so this guy has to be like freaking, you know, born in 1995 or something like that. The guy wrote it. Yeah, their best game was three years ago. <laughs> Baylor 61. T- their best game was a game that was 61-58. There was no defense in that game. All right. 112 meetings, which actually I thought that's well, I can't believe they met that many times, and re- incredibly close. TCU leads 53, 52, and seven. Well, that's kind of cool. Really close, okay? But the programs just aren't the same level of programs. They're just not. Baylor is only recently been any good. Like for forty, well, obviously they've been as good as TCU for the last hundred years. Right, they've been very competitive. And for a lot of that time, they were just, they just were. I don't think they were in the Division One. I. I mean, this. TCU, yeah, no, I think they've been Division One the whole time, but they've been like, eh, you know, like a low level, mid, you know, and, and both of these teams. I mean, for a long time in the, in the Big Eight and then the Big 12, Baylor was the doormat. They were just... TCU dominated garbage conference, right? Right. I mean, they were originally in the Southwest Conference when that was a thing, and then they moved out when that... When then when Texas and Oklahoma and all these big eight they became the big eight schools. They just and then finally became, went to the Big Twelve a couple of years ago. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right, so this one is probably exactly right where it needs to be. Uh, the next one is the number fifteen rivalry on our list. It's uh, the Egg Bowl with the trophy called the Golden Egg. It's Ole Miss and Mississippi State. That's a top fifteen rivalry. Yeah, I mean it just is. One hundred and twelve meetings. Ole Miss leads. Uh, they have sixty three wins, forty three losses, six ties. Most memorable game was nineteen ninety nine, where the Mississippi State Bulldogs beat Ole Miss twenty three twenty. You got many great players that have gone through here: uh, Archie Manning, Eli Manning, Dak Prescott. A uh, lot of really. I good... I know it wouldn't take you long to get to Dak. Well, you got it. I mean, <laughs> if you're going to talk Mississippi State football, the the player you start talking about is Dak Prescott. I mean, if you were born in. He was the only. He's the he's the quarterback of the only Mississippi State team that was ever ranked number one in the country. That's true. Okay. All right. So we'll move on now <laughs> to number fourteen. Oh man, number four. Okay, number fourteen seems low, uh, but this probably because of I look at through the lens of the nineties. Florida State Miami at fourteen. As a thirty-six-year-old man. These two, these were the best two teams in the country almost every year. The I'm games that you looked forward to back then, again, now we're from we grew up in Syracuse, so our games that we look forward to, Syracuse Miami was always a big game. It was a big game for us, but Miami, not so much we, Miami. We were a doormat to Miami. But nationally, if you had Florida State Miami, Florida State Notre Dame, Miami Notre Dame, uh, Florida uh, Miami Oklahoma was Miami always was ridiculous. They were really great. Miami Virginia Tech, yeah, really good. We would be sitting here for like. 
you know, friggin' an hour going over the names that came out of my hand. Uh, yes. And Florida State, because they're yeah, both yeah. really great. Uh, no trophy involved in this game. Only met, only met 61 times. That's fine. Miami leads the series 31 to 30. No ties. 1991 was the best game. Miami's 17, Florida State 16. I believe that might have been wide right. That was the wide right game. There's been a bunch of those for Florida State. Unfortunately. This was the original wide right where uh, Florida State. Actually, as a matter of fact, the pitcher is of uh, Maori, the, kick, the kicker from Florida State. If you look on the picture, uh, it's him basically on the ground, uh, just crying. Yeah, crying into the turf after missing wide right. Uh, that gummit. Bobby Bobby Bowden is all you need to know about this. Bobby Bowden, Jimmy Johnson, Dennis Erickson, great coaches, great players. Number 13 is bullshit. Georgia and Georgia Tech. Now, historically, it's a rivalry. Again, it's a Governor's Cup. Uh, the game is called Clean Old Fashioned Hate. I've never heard that before, and I'm 36 years old. Never heard it called Clean Old Fashioned I've heard it. I've heard Clean Old Fashioned Hate before. 110 meetings. Uh, Georgia leads 65, 40, and 5. Uh, they've met. They've met many times, starting back in 1893. Well, this should be a list of 25 teams that are in the same state as each other. So far, I mean, for the most part. I mean, certainly he leans towards that a lot. Um, again, I, I I struggle to see how. Um, how Florida State Miami? Yeah, Florida State. Well, maybe not on the list, but maybe this is your 25th or 24th best rivalry. And, and certainly Alabama LSU is a better rivalry than this. I, you know, I mean, Florida State Miami seems like a better rivalry we than this. Come up, probably we're going to be able to come up with at least 15 or 20 yeah. rivalries. Yeah. Okay, so I think Mike, from a certain standpoint, Mike's going to understand this one. It's number 12. It's Pittsburgh and West Virginia. Okay. The backyard brawl, no trophy, but as a guy who is first in the oh, Big East, guy, Big East now, yeah, yeah, you understand Pitt and and uh, the, but why is it not Syracuse and West Virginia? The Schwartzwalder Trophy because Syracuse is awful. That's fine. But they haven't always been right. They yeah. were good at one point. They, they used to be Syracuse used to be a rival with Penn State. I would guess that Syracuse is nowhere on this list at this point. I would imagine so. But Pittsburgh and West Virginia actually is a really great rivalry. Uh, the backyard probably brawl. Probably about where it should be. 100, yeah, 104 meetings. Surprise, you may surprise you. If you don't understand college football or, or college football history, I should say. If you're That's not, way out of this rivalry. Yeah, 61 wins, 40 losses, 3 ties. Pitt was a great program. Especially in the seventies, but I mean, Mark May came from Dan there. Marino went to Pitt. Tony yeah. Dorsett went yeah. to Pitt. Yeah. Okay, a lot of really great players. Larry Fitzgerald went to Pitt. Yep. There's been a lot of great players that went to Pitt. Antonio Bryant too. No. Uh, no. They had another great. Oh, Antonio Bryant. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I thought you said Antonio Brown. Yes. Antonio Bryant. Yes. Um, uh, Tom Savage. Quality starting quarterback. <laughs> Going to push Deshaun Watson this year. Uh, number eleven. Uh. The greatest interconference rivalry in this is college low football. by like eleven. No, no. USC and Notre Dame is the eleventh best rivalry in college football. Regardless of historical excellence out of conference, they play each other every year. Come on. Every year. And these two teams have combined for like twenty national championships. Who's Notre Dame's biggest rival? USC. There's going to be another Notre Dame rivalry ahead of this on this list. You know that, right? There better not be. There's going to be. There better not be. Notre Dame's only been on the list once. If if Michigan-Notre Dame is ahead of this, I'm going to punch my computer. Don't. All right. I probably Just won't hit it actually. now. 
<laughs> Just hit it now. Uh, 87 times these teams have met. Notre Dame leads 46 wins, 36 losses, five times. The greatest game was 2005, USC 34, Notre Dame 31. But there have been literally 20 great games That's in this series. There's dogs in your studio. There's always dogs in my studio. I live with dogs. If you don't like dogs, you don't like my show. Trophy, the Jalul, the, uh, the Jalul. The, the Jalul <laughs> trophy, sure, that one. The jeweled shillelagh. Which is an Irish walking stick. I know what a shillelagh is. I've seen gangs in New York. Come on. <laughs> Such great. Uh, the 2005 game, that's the Bush-Push game, which, by the way, was illegal, and Notre Dame should have won that game and remained undefeated and gone on to the national championship. Brady Quinn. Oh, my God. Ohio State-Miami is the worst, most egregious bad call yeah, and that should be coming on this list. <coughs> that, that They're won't not be on rivalry. They it's not a rivalry, but won't be on here. The next one, this, 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 just it just makes you angry after you see USC Notre Dame eleven number ten Oregon but, Oregon State. But they're not in the same state, Notre Dame and USC. Yeah, there's clearly they're not. Can we skip this one? The I knew that the game was called Civil War. I did not know that the trophy was called the Platypus Trophy. Makes a ton of sense though. The Ducks and the Beavers. So, if they were to mate, it'd be a platypus? <laughs> I don't think they study evolution at either one of these schools, but uh, that's not how it works. Oregon leads the series 63-46-10. They've been really, really good lately. Uh, much better program of the late. The Beaver. Yeah. Who was, who was from Oregon State that was great? Oh, Chad Johnson, Ocho Cinco, and, and T.J. Husmanjada both went to Oregon State, as by, if I remember yeah. correctly. Uh, in-state rivals, they met the first time in 1894. They've met 119 times. This is the thing. Just because two teams have played 120 times in total irrelevancy. I'm going to guarantee you, if you go back to 1903, Oregon and Oregon State probably played each other four times that year because no one else is going to go to goddamn Oregon to play a football game in 1904. Let's get on our covered wagons. <laughs> Get the team in the wagon, boys. They probably each played four games that year, and they were all against each other. And Oregon won all of them and claimed a national championship. <laughs> Greatest game in the rivalry was 2009. Oregon beat Oregon State 37-33. to There weren't even a state. How in the hell is this ahead of USC-Notre Dame? That's awesome. Feinberg! How's it ahead right. of Florida State-Miami? How is it ahead of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State? You can't just go, well, they've played since the 1800s, so it's a bigger rivalry. Scott, and they're in the same state. And they got a cool trophy. All right, number nine. This is a top ten rivalry all day, every day. The Thompson Cup Army-Navy. Okay. It literally has its own week. Should probably be a top five. Almost nobody else plays the week Army and Navy play in early December. Then there's a reason for it because it's – and God bless these kids – uh, almost none of them are going on to play professional football, and they are all going to go on and serve your nation, our nation, uh, in the armed forces. Army-Navy is one of my favorite games to watch every year. Navy leads the series 60 wins, 49 losses, 7 ties. Um, Army won the most recent matchup, actually uh, breaking a long Navy winning streak. I think it was something like 15 years or something like that. Uh, but, yeah, uh, most most memorable game was 1963. Navy beat Army 21-15. to It was a game that was almost canceled due to the assassination of JFK. Uh, Navy won and punched their ticket to the Cotton Bowl and a plan, chance to play for the title. They were actually in the national – that was – Roger Staubach was the quarterback. I was going to say Roger <laughs> I mean, so they were in the national championship conversation at that point. Uh, number eight, 
Again, this is ahead of USC Notre Dame. I wanna, I'm going to say this. Tennessee versus Memphis? Clemson, South Carolina. And who? Right. <laughs> the Palmetto Bowl. Again, a great rivalry. Now, I'm not going to – this is a great rivalry. It is. However, to say that this rivalry is more important or a better rivalry than USC and Notre Dame – Or Army and Navy. Or Army and Navy or many other ones that we've already mentioned is ridiculous. South Carolina basically has been good for seven years. What's up? Well, I mean, they're ish. Jadavian Clowney, Marshawn Lattimore. Or Marcus, but either Marcus one. Lattimore. I say Marshawn. What is wrong with me today? Anyway, again, they've 113 times they played since the 1800s. If we just, why don't we just Google up 1800s football? Right, and then that's what we'll get. Oh, they still play. Let's put them on the list. Right. I mean, this is stupid. Uh, I'm just, I'm really upset with you. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I mean, South Carolina said you had Lou Holtz and. Spurrier went to... Yes, they both were coach, coaches there, yes. I mean, I, I mean... Spurrier also was a coach at Duke. Doesn't make them relevant. No. <laughs> I mean, Apparently relevant enough to be on this list. <coughs> apparently so. Okay, number seven. I actually like this. I don't know that I like it at number seven. I probably would like it a lot more at number 20. It's Harvard and Yale. Again, we've been playing since the dawn of time, so we're important. Right. It's called the game every year. Uh, so who has been good that played in this game? Ryan Fitzpatrick? No, I repeat. Good. Oh, <laughs> reevaluate the question, please. I mean, Marcellus Marcellus Wiley played against both of these I was schools. Say, he played for Columbia. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But Jeremy Lin probably went to a couple of these games. Okay. <laughs> we haven't arrived yet. Okay, so how many times have they played? Sure. That's that. Oh, they played 150 times. 133 times. Jesus Again, this is a, this is a case where they probably played each other one year at least five times. Because there was no one else playing football in 1875. <laughs> 1875 was the first time they played. <laughs> it is known, this, to his credit, he says, this series is known more for its pranks in history than on-the-field action. Well, great. That's probably why it's number seven on your fucking list. They could sneak it in at 25. I'm saying, 20, I'd be okay with it at 20. It's right. historical. It's a very historic. I guess, it's like I get more upset every one I reveal. Number six. Minnesota, Wisconsin. Paul Bunyan's axe. They say they play for some stupid trophy. Yeah, it's a really big axe. Was Let me ask you it. a question. How do you feel about this rivalry? I mean, I'm okay with it. I think it's a good rivalry. I think it belongs on the top 25 list. I don't think it belongs in front of USC and Notre Dame. I'm probably going to say that five more times. That has a legit argument to be the best of all of these. It does! So O.J. Simpson, be, Joe Montana, Tim be, Brown, Rocket Ismail, in the top five. Reggie Bush, Matt Ly- I mean, Jesus Christ. And Wisconsin's had a lot of good football players. Minnesota's had a couple. <laughs> 125 games. They played the first time in 1892. <laughs> okay, so we got to think. Before we get there, what stupid rivalry is going to be ahead of that on the list? Because I'm thinking you got Auburn, Alabama is clearly still to come. You've got Florida, Florida State's got to be on there ahead of this. You've got Ohio State and Michigan's got to be still on here. Um, you would so think that's three. There's five left, right? There's five. Th- there's five. There's number six, right? Top five. So right. I just named three of them. What are the other two? You cheating a little bit. Well, I got number five in front of me, and it should be swapped with number eleven at least. Uh, it is the USC Trojans and UCLA. Oh God! That apparently is a better rivalry than USC Notre Dame. I bet you they played 120 times. No, 86. First time. These cross-city rivals have been playing since the late 20s. That's the importance. 
I mean... UCLA has not ever been good, right? No, UCLA has been good. And they've had good players, and they've won national championships. Jackie Robinson played football for UCLA, by the way. So did Troy Aikman. Great. Okay, I mean, they've had several really good players. Okay. UCLA was a program, especially in the 60s and 70s. UCLA was a program. Okay. Uh, not Never to the point of USC. USC's always been the better program. To that point, USC leads the series 46 wins. 31 losses and 7 ties, and that's even with two vacated USC wins. Thank you, Pete Carroll. Uh, best game, 1967, USC beats UCLA 21-20. I think O.J. Simpson played in that game. Yeah, uh, they were led by the number four Trojans beat the number one Bruins 21-20. And okay. It was a, a fourth-quarter touchdown run by O.J. I'm up for parole, Simpson. He's up for parole, by the way. And they won the national championship that year. But this that's not as good a rivalry. It's not as good. All right. Yeah, uh, USC's biggest rival is Notre Dame. So, right. Number four, Cal Stanford. Because of the band. The one, the one really great game. I mean. That's not a great game. It's just iconic. Right. It wasn't I mean, that great a game. The Stanford Axe. First of all, if you're in a series <laughs> and the, the trophy is named after one of the teams, you know the series fucking sucks. It's awful. Uh yeah, the, the obviously the so greatest. So now we know what the next three are, right? Because I just named them. It has to be right, but I don't Florida know. Florida and Florida State isn't on this list. Now, I'll be the first to argue it doesn't belong in the top three. But if it isn't on the list, the whole list is bullshit. Number three, Oklahoma, Texas. Okay, so it's not on the list. Okay, so Florida and Florida State got left out for some. This is a top five rivalry. Sure. Oklahoma, the Red River rivalry, this is a top five rivalry. They played 111 times. They started playing it in 19, 1900. Texas leads the series 61-45-5, which is actually a mild shock, but Texas, whatever. Oklahoma okay. dominated a couple decades of college football. Absolutely. Um, but I have, no, yeah, I have no arguments with Texas and Oklahoma being in the top five. Right. I mean, great players. We talked about a bunch Was that of, number three? Number three. Okay, so the top two then... Are going to be. It should, you'd think it would so be Alabama, 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 Auburn. Number two, Alabama and Auburn. And Ohio State, and Michigan. Michigan. Better, but again. So Florida and Florida State are not on your list. Not in the top twenty-five. Kansas and Kansas State made it though. So, and Indiana and Purdue made it, but Florida and Florida That's State. Right, if you live in Florida, everybody is a fan of one of those three teams, and it's a big deal when the three of them play. Now, and that might be part of what this whole list is: is these interstate rivalries and. You know, if you live in Georgia and Georgia Tech and Georgia play, maybe it means a lot to you. Yeah, I mean, uh, Hawaii didn't make it. Right, Hawaii and and, and Boise State. Wait, who Hawaii, is their rival? Who, who is their rival, Steve? It's BYU. Oh, that's right, BYU because of the Mormon thing. There's a lot of Mormon. Well, but it, clearly a better rivalry than a lot of other. I would I would probably watch some of those over the Kansas State Kansas matchups, and I'm telling you, Florida Florida State's a hell of a lot better matchup than that. Nebraska and Missouri would be a better one than that. Nebraska is not even on this list. Nowhere. Period. Nowhere. So Nebraska and Oklahoma, I would think would have yeah, made it. or Nebraska and Texas, which was a big rivalry. They don't play anymore, but uh, okay. So the James E. Boy uh, VODK Sportsmanship Trophy for the Iron Bowl, 80 meetings. The vodka trophy, did you say? It should be. It's V. <laughs> Dash, O-D-K, ain't no A, but yeah, I'll go with vodka. Uh, rivalry dates back to 1893, but again. This you is, can't make fun of these now because these are the not at all. That are the Iron Bowl right. is a game, bro. Alabama-Auburn. Now, listen, briefly as it was, I lived in Alabama in the fall of 1992. Was it 1992? 1991, I'm sorry. Fall of 1991. And so I was in this state during one of these games, and it's freaking crazy. People literally want to kill each other. 
Like, there's families that are split. Like, right now, my nephew was born in Alabama. He is a huge Alabama Crimson Time fan. My sister lives in Alabama to this day. She loves Auburn. War Eagle. War Damn Eagle. Her and her husband both. And, wow, crazy. Uh, what a great rivalry. There are a few better. As a matter of fact, on this list, there's only one. Which is fair. It's absolutely fair. Well, just, the I, game. I mean, I, I'm just bringing up the, I mean, of late. The Alabama, Alabama dominates. Alabama-LSU rivalry, I mean. Probably better. It's been better. Yeah. Uh, Auburn's had some teams that were kind of overlooked. Alabama leads the series 44 wins, 35 losses, one tie. But it's been competitive. It's been a very competitive series. The whole series. missed field goal game very recently was pretty awesome. Yep. Oh, the the run back, that's their yep. best game, actually. The, the, and and it, it's almost inarguable. The, and that's the game, 2013, Auburn 34, Alabama 28, and that was on a returned missed field goal late in the game. Uh, Saban got, and that's uh, and Gus Cam Ma- Newton. They won the national Yeah, Gus Miles on. They won the national championship. That's absolutely right. So the last one, of course, number one is going to be Michigan and Ohio State. The game. Played 112 times every year since 1897, basically, except for some war years. Um, Michigan State, uh, Michigan actually leads the series, 58 wins, 47 losses, six ties. Of late, Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma, Ohio State has been better. However, Michigan State's coming on again. This is, this is a rivalry that will always matter. Michigan. It, it would be, yeah, it would clearly be my number one. I can't fault them for that. But I can fault him for having USC-UCLA as a better rivalry than USC-Notre Dame. And I can also fault him for not having Florida-Florida State on this damn rivalry. Uh, Florida State, uh, I'm sorry, Miami-Virginia Tech is another one. Considering the ones that they've had on here. Clemson-Florida State have played each other for many years. I guess I can't, I look at it and go, you're justifying some of these, many of them, because A, they're in the same state, and B, they've been playing since the 1800s. But it's like, recent history... Trumps it a little bit just because of social media, ESPN, the the availability, the ability to watch the games on television. You know, that's all important to it. Not to mention the majority of people alive today have actually seen the games. Right. Who cares about games played in the 1880s? Really? No one alive. None of us remember it. We don't know any of the players. Who cares? Your number seven rivalry, Harvard and Yale, literally no one ever watches that game. No one. All right. So anyway, guys, we've spent way too much time on that stupid list. So I'm going to go with my my actual top five in no particular order. Okay. B. Army, Navy, USC, Notre Dame, and the three that were the top three. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. Yeah. I, would, I would agree with that. I think you can make a case that Army, Navy maybe could be just a top ten and not a top five, but I, those four. The importance of the Army, Navy game because no, so no. many yes. people in this country are either in the, you know veterans of the Army or Navy and have personal investment in absolutely. that no, game. It matters, it matters for like, the country. My dad right. was a Navy vet. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, people who, I'm not a military guy. I don't like the, what we do with the military, but my dad was in the Navy. I care about that game because my dad was in the Navy. I want Navy to win that game. Oh, I was going to say, so you were for Army? Or? Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Listen, we spent way too much time on this list. Good good point by Mike at the end there. We're going to come back, have a quick segment at the end. Uh, I don't even remember what the hell we're going to talk about. Um, NBA. No, it's not NBA, Mike. It's going to be uh, baseball. It's going to be uh-huh. actually, in particular, we're going to talk about Jose Bautista and the things that happened against the Braves last week. Uh, so we're going to do a quick segment on that, and then we'll be out of here. But this right now, this is going to be a song, uh, another Soundgarden song. It's from the same album as the Rusty Cage. This is Jesus Christ Post off of Bad Motor Finger. We'll be back right after this on Blog Talk Radio.
All right, we're back. That was Jesus Christ Pose. Uh, probably the song that helped me. I, like, I really discovered Soundgarden when that song came out. When I first heard it, I'm like, what the hell is this? Kim Thale, who is the guitar player from Soundgarden, is a m- really good metal guitar player. Like, he's metal AF, for sure. Okay. All right. Just his riffs are great. His solos oh, are great. I thought you were going to relate that to that particular song. What? Like... I thought there was going to be some kind of uh, correlation between the two statements. Oh no, it's a it's a really metal guitar riff. I mean, it's very metal. It's very you know. So whatever. I mean, fine. You made me do it. So laugh at me if you want to, jerk. Anyway, Soundgarden, go buy that album. What Bad Motor Finger, man, it's super good, super super good. They have a lot of really good albums, but that one's great. Um, all right, so we're going to move on now. We're going to talk a little bit of Braves baseball, but it kind of not really Braves baseball. Although Steve is wearing his uh, Atlanta Braves Aloha Atlanta Braves shirt. Yeah. Um, this is about a thing that happened last week. It's 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 kind of a, a few subjects to talk about, and it all goes into. This one person who kind of brings it out in everybody, it's Jose Batista, Joey Bats. I remember there was a there was a play, it's funny, because there was a play, there was a highlight where he did not make a defensive play, uh, and someone said, well, they don't call him Joey Gloves. <laughs> <laughs> and so last week, they're playing against the Atlanta Braves, and the Braves, I think they're improving uh, baseball team, but they're still not one of the better teams in the and National League. Second place in their division, they're only five games back of 500. Right. I mean, again, they're 19 and 24. I, right. And last year they were not 19 and 24. They were probably more like 10 and 34. You know, <laughs> I mean, so they're an improving team. They've lost their best player, Freddie Freeman, in this very game that we're going to talk about. As a matter of fact, broke uh, a bone in his wrist. He's out for 10 weeks. Is that right? Eight to 10 weeks. Well, in this game, the Braves had a lead. It was uh, 8-3 to three later in the game. They're, they're up pretty big. And Bautista comes up, and I think it was like the 8th inning, 7th or 8th inning. And he hits a solo home run. And in true Jose Bautista fashion, having just brought this team to the brink of four runs from a lead, stands there, admires his home run, and flips his bat as high as he can effing flip it. And then trots around the bases. And he's having a really bad start to the year. He's, yeah, I mean, he's... He had like two home runs in the first month of the season, I think. So, to me, I don't care if he had 100 home runs in the first two. You're down four runs still after your massive home run and late in the game. And you're flipping the bat and grandstanding and showboating. And so when he rounds the bases, Steve will tell you, because you were watching yeah. the game, yeah? Yeah, so... Jace Peterson had, I mean, he was playing first base because Freddie Freeman was out. Because he had his wrist broken. I mean, he had something to say about it, and he's rounding the bases, and Kurt Suzuki from Maui is over there at home plate, and he's waiting for him. Right. And tells him what he has to tell him, and supposedly Bautista tells him, just tell the guys I wasn't trying to show him up. Bullshit. If you were you were not trying to show him up, you did a really poor job of not showing that dude up. You know, okay. So my opinion of, of it is like I could see him doing that playoff time against the Rangers. Go ahead, run in the tenth inning. In that situation, I mean, if it's a three-run homer and you just brought it to within one run, I'm okay with it then. 
But you, it's, it's like, I'm not against. I don't want to be this old guy that's just like, well, you got to flip the bat, blah blah blah. I'm okay with bat flips. I'm cool with it. But you've got to be, you've got to have a little sense of the moment. This was not the moment to flip your bat and grandstand. Yeah, not, not when there's already tension. I mean, that was that uh, the whole quick pitch thing that that happened before that. Freeman getting hurt, and I mean, the Toronto pitchers already hitting Braves batters like freaking seven like, times. Yeah, like the Toronto is is. Their staff hits a lot of hits a lot of batters, but seven times in three games, right? I mean, just, and this is and you're and it's not like okay. So if you're the other manager, you're just like Jesus Christ, guys. We're just trying to have an interleague series here. It's not like you're not playing against the Yankees in your own division. We're the Braves. We're a middling team in the National League, and you're throwing at everybody, constantly hitting our batters, and then your asshole right fielder hits a meaningless home run late in the game and decides to. Flip his bat 20 feet in the air and act like he just won the fucking World Series. It's May. This, it, okay, so then we're talking about retaliation pitches. Okay, so... The best kind of pitch. Well, yeah, okay, maybe. So, Bautista got plunked, right? Yeah. The next okay, day. So And then, um, I think it was Gammons or one of, these, one of these baseball guys was like, you know, said that Tyler Flowers should be like suspended for fucking 20 games... Because he signaled for the retaliation pitch. The catcher did? Yeah. Yes. How do you do that? So you got like you got your hand between your legs like this, right? You, you, you do the one for the fastball and you you know you do this. the curve. Well, is it the middle finger? It is. For the for the retaliation. Exactly well, he right, just yes. he just did, I mean he just shifted his glove. Fuck this guy. Yeah. You get the middle it. finger, you move the glove over to the other side of the guy's body, like behind him. Yes. But Up by his head. You know, I'll be honest. I mean, that that whole thing was. I mean, you know that he was going to get plunked, and I mean, in giving you know, I guess it was Tehran that uh, that threw it. I mean, fuck, he hit him in the thigh. Right. He did it the right way. Okay. So that goes back to the Red Sox Orioles thing from earlier this year. Now Manny Machado had had a hard slide in the second. He literally, he clearly spiked uh, Dustin Pedroia. And it was a bad play. I don't know if it was necessarily a dirty play, but it certainly was a bad play. 20 years ago, it would be a play no one talked about. But nowadays, it's the... Right, exactly. His spikes are up, and he's coming in hard at second base. And so, subsequent to that, the Boston Red Sox threw at Manny Machado for, what, four or five games? Like, they constantly were just throwing at him. Chris Sale threw at his head. It wasn't a mistake. He threw a 90-mile-an-hour no, fast. Chris Sale throws it near your head. He meant to hit you in the head. Right. He <laughs> threw it at Manny Machado's head. That's the kind of stuff. That's not right. They went way overboard in their retaliation because they did it continuously and tried to do it continuously and continuously. And you, you retaliate, that's fine. You don't throw at someone's head because you cannot that, – that, that becomes a situation where it's no longer retaliation. You're seriously endangering the health of this person. Right. A 90-mile-an-hour fastball you break can – an orbital ball. It can kill you. It can kill you. It can kill you. Um, So I think now there's a big movement uh, among people who write about baseball and talk about baseball about do we need to get rid of the retaliation pitch? Do we need to take it out of the game? And I'm interested to get your, your, Steve, interpretation of it because I know you're a little bit more of a baseball purist. Um, And then uh, Mike's as well. No, I mean, you know, it's... Okay, so... When the whole thing came up with Bautista and, and the Rangers, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so so my thinking was, it's like, hey, I mean, fuck, if you don't want them celebrating like that, then you don't allow it to happen. Yeah, you I'm good with that. You don't allow the home run pitch. 
And again, it was in the moment. It was the playoffs. That, that so instance, forth. that one was appropriate. Justified. It's yeah. appropriate. Okay. Exactly. Then, I mean, next season they're you know they're playing, and all of a sudden you know he slides in hard, and Odor takes offense to it, and you knew. I mean, leading up to this game, there was this hype, and you know whatever that it was going to be. There, there was bad blood. There was tension, and so forth. Okay, things would be different with Joey Bats. If he had won that fight, that's what that I mean. I that's I, your I, yeah. I talked to you know to another friend of mine you know the, earlier this week about it that if Odor didn't just fucking smoke him and just had the gut of totally basketball, he totally smoked him. Then yeah, I mean you know it's, I I think. Bautista losing that fight just <laughs> made him like even worse. Now I, I gotta say this, and as and again, I'm a Yankees fan. Steve's a Braves fan. Mike likes the Mets. Oh, um, I think Jose Bautista is such a douchebag that I don't think even if he had won, I think people just hate him. I think because he's really douchey. He just he just comes off douchey. It's even worse because he's a guy that like can do all this stuff and he can't back it up because he had a second baseman who's yeah. like. Punched you know, him, basically knocked him out, almost knocked him out. And it, again, second baseman. If you've ever seen, Steve sent me a meme last year. I just saw it on my, where it shows the the height of the infield. It's like shortstop and third baseman, probably about five nine, five, well five eleven. Uh, first baseman probably six two, and second baseman five seven or shorter. And that was we were on a softball team together, and that's exactly how it was. <laughs> So historically, the smallest position in the sport is the second baseman. He just knocked your right fielder out almost. Normally, the right fielder is the worst fielder person Although, on the team. I, right. I don't want to take a punch from Rognet Odor. I'm going to tell you that right no, now. Yeah, he's in he's, shape. He lifts, yeah, bro. And, he, and, he, and he, I think at that time he was like only like 23 years old when Joey Bats is like 40. Yeah, exactly. So, but so your opinion? Retaliation pitches, good or bad for the game? I just feel like in general in sports we've kind of got sissified. Yeah, no, I'm. Yeah, there's certainly um, a point to that. And you need to be able to, in baseball, I think, hold guys accountable a little bit, and that that does that. Mm-hmm. Being able to throw at a guy, sure. Um, so the whole we need to suspend this guy 20 games for the retaliation pitch, no. But there also needs to be a point where it stops, right? You know, where it's we don't need to throw at a guy four or five games in a row, right? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, you did it once. You hit the guy with a baseball, a 90-mile-an-hour baseball. He's going to have a bruise on his hip for two weeks. Okay, you won. All right, you're good. And so beyond that, to me, is when it you've crossed a line. Right. You know, when you've taken it to that next level of, you know, treating the guy like an enemy and just throwing at him every time he's at the plate, that's a different story. Right. Um, but the retaliation pitch in and of itself, I think, is – I don't even want to call it a necessary evil. It's a part of the game, and I'm okay with it. I think here's here's the issue too because it's something like I, I, my question here was is it something that baseball baseball should or even could fix because I don't think you can take it away like you can't say automatically okay if you hit this batter regardless because the only way you can do it you cannot legislate intent right it is sometimes you accidentally hit a dude right so if you legislate it, if you hit a batter you're you're suspended for ten games. Well, now you've just taken away the inside of the plate. Yeah, the, the whole thing is with that particular instance, like everyone knew that the Braves are going to retaliate. Of course. But, you know, so the whole thing is, it's like the only way you control it is that if you have the umpires go to their dugout, to each, you know, to each team's dugout and say, hey, I don't want, we don't want anything. Right. Okay? 
anything happens that out of, that's out of the ordinary, I don't care if there wasn't any intent or whatever, right. and the guy's gone. So, and that, that didn't happen with the game, even though everyone knew right. something like that was going to happen. It's going to happen. Here's the thing. Okay, so going back to that Boston-Baltimore series where Boston is continuously throwing at Manny Machado, okay, and they finally, they finally do hit him, okay, and he gets his base and all this stuff after throwing at his head and all that other stuff. The next day, the Orioles are there. They have a lead. It's later in the game. Their pitcher hits a batter. Now, when Sale threw, hit, threw a pitch behind the head of Manny Machado, he was warned, warned, to me, I'm okay at that point of that dude getting thrown. Right. Like, he was warned. Yeah. The guy the next day hits a batter, probably mid-thigh-ish, and he's immediately ejected. No warnings, no nothing. Immediately ejected. That's the problem that the, the MLB has. Is you're, you're leaving it in the, fan, in the hands of these umpires to, to interpret, and they're interpreting it wrong. Like, just as you said, that 90-mile-an-hour pitch behind Manny Machado's head, Chris Sale should have been ejected immediately. And suspended. Yeah, and suspended. And then the next day, this guy, I mean, you can make a case that it, I wasn't trying to hit the guy. To me, this is what you do. You hit the next bat. You right. don't wait nine guys and hit Batista. Right. You, you make his teammate hate him. Right. Right? The guy behind him in the lineup, you drill him. So that when he comes back to the dugout, he says, you ever Thanks do that bullshit again, yeah. I'm going to punch you in the yeah. face. Yeah. Not Rognan or Doer, me. Or as soon as you get back to the dugout, I'm going to punch you in the face. Because you just got me plunked. Okay, so uh, they talked to, I forget what player they talked to about how, you know, um, how Batista was in the uh, in the dugout. And, I mean, they love him there. Yeah, I'm not. He's yeah. like team leader or whatever. And, you know, sure, he's a, like, an, an, um, an emotional guy with energy and, yeah. you know. A good player. He's yeah. a good player. Not a great player, but a good player. He, he certainly has had his moments where he's been the premier power hitter in the major leagues. For like two seasons. Yeah, for like two seasons in his late 30s. That's weird. I don't know how you could ever get to that point, but I'm not saying he took Maybe performance Maybe he just a lot in the offseason when he was does, Do you even lift, bro? Um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think it's a dangerous situation if you're going to try to legislate it out of the game. With rules, I think it's a very dangerous road that you go down because, again, you're going to take – already in baseball today, you, pitchers don't pitch inside as much as they used to. And uh, I think you know if you take that away completely from pitchers because that's what you're going to do if it's automatic suspensions, no one's going to – What about gonna, give the guy second base? Instead of giving him first? Yeah. Like you've determined it's a retaliatory – you know, it's a, a just, no. Just make it automatic. Pitch. Just make it automatic. Give him, and you give him second base. Instead. So you you take the intent out of it. I don't care what the intent oh, was. Hit by pitch puts you on second base. Second base. I'll tell you, you'd see less guys hitting by, getting hit by pitch. Yeah, yeah. very much because that's scoring position. Yeah, a single scores that run usually. If it's anybody with any kind of wheels, like Delvin's not scoring from there. Delvin Bream is though. Sid Bream. <laughs> Only in one situation ever has Sid Bream scored for there. But it was the best one ever! If you don't know, uh, just all you got to do is go to YouTube and just type in the word Sid Bream, B-R-E-A-M, and it'll come up and you'll see one his of His kids' birthdays, his, you know, everything else in his career won't pop up. That will. Yeah. Do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? I do not. Okay, so Sid Bream, was it 1995? No, 91. Oh, it was, it was the 91 uh, NLCS versus the Pittsburgh Pirates. Now, this is the Pirates that had Andy Vanslyke, Barry Bonds, and Bobby Bonilla in the outfield. And um, who was the batter? Was it Pendleton? No, Francisco Cabrera. Oh, it was Francisco Cabrera. Made, made it even more, I mean, just, yeah. Bottom of the ninth. 
uh, at Old Fulton County Stadium. Uh, basically, it's a single to the it was a single or double to the outfield. It ended up being, well, just a single. A single. And Sid Bream, who is literally the slowest person in the history of the world, scored from second somehow on that single. And it's just amazing. Multiple knee surgeries. He just he could not run. He just couldn't run. But he made it. Right. Sheer force of will. We'll pull it up and show you after. Yeah, we'll show you. So yeah, YouTube the Sid Bream. Just just type type in Sid Bream. It'll come right up. It'll be amazing. <laughs> Alright guys, we gotta go. This has been way too much fun. Um, we're gonna try to get back on Saturday nights because I feel more comfortable drinking on Saturday nights than Tuesday mornings. Yeah, Steve's with it. (laughs) All right, so maybe we'll try to do something this Saturday. We'll be back. We're going to leave you with a little bit more from Chris Cornell. I'll explain the song in a moment. And it was Bond's throwy beat? Yes, 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 in Game 7. To send the Braves Braves to their first World Series in Atlanta, yeah? I think that was the first. 1992 playoffs. Yeah, okay, it was 92. Um, So anyway, so uh, I want you to remind you to follow the show on Twitter, at Sports Beer Show. Follow Mike. Oh, my God, he is slow as hell. He's the worst. There's not a great throw by Bonds. No, but still. Oh, they're piling on top of him. Uh, Follow Mike at Mastrolio123 on Twitter. I am at Duckman for real. We're going to convince Steve to get on Twitter. To be fair, his lead had him at shortstop. I mean, he was halfway between the two bases. That's the only way he's going to (laughs) score. You got a walking lead. All right. Follow Steve on Instagram. It's Steve Core, S D E V E C O R. Uh, we're going to hopefully get Delvin back in here pretty soon. He, he's been out for a long time, and he's, he keeps telling me, next month, bro, next month. I'll be back next month. So we'll get Delvin back. But we're going to leave you with a song by Chris Cornell and uh, his side project from the early 90s, Temple of the Dog, who they actually toured just, what, two years ago. You picked a good one to end with. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the best song of the entire Chris Cornell catalog. This Temple of the Dog, if you're not aware, was a super group side project. Uh, Chris Cornell of Soundgarden, uh, Matt Cameron, the drummer of Soundgarden, who is now the drummer of Pearl Jam. Boy, he's had an okay career. Um, and the 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 uh, two guitar players from Pearl Jam, Mike McCready and Stone Gossard, and the bass player from Pearl Jam, Jeff Ament. On um, this song, it's the only song on the album in which he appeared, uh, Pearl Jam vocalist Eddie Vedder. Uh, comes in to do the kind of call and return between he and Chris Cornell. It is one of the great songs of the 90s. This song, um, I mean, it's just one of my favorite songs of all time. Hunger Strike, Temple of the Dog, off their self-titled debut album. Go buy that on, again, iTunes, uh, Amazon, Google Play, wherever music sold. We will see you next week on the uh, on the Blog Talk Radio Network. We are sports and beer and sometimes Bloody Marianas with friends. All right, guys, we'll see you soon. Thanks. Have a good week.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 